Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1013 with John Sealbinder. You'd put an offer in on a, on a deal and then they'd take someone else and you're like, oh man, it's just not meant to be, right? What you learn later on is as an entrepreneur, you got to take a lot of shots to hit a target, right? Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your guest needs? Redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guests across the counter. Reachify is powerful and flexible. For example, with advanced automation and caller deflection, Reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverts callers to online actions. Reachify also simplifies workflows for your team, enabling them to operate more efficiently to attract, retain, and engage callers effectively. Reachify, be in control of the conversation you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit in resource with your staff, you can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.com org to learn more together we can make a difference in the lives of those who serve us daily this episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest founder of local icon hospitality john sealbinder my man john are you feeling unstoppable today every day baby let's go dude and i've heard some amazing things about you even just being around town i was actually over at the raw bar over there yeah raw yeah and they're like who are you talking to while you're in town 
And I was like, naming some names, like in, in order. I hadn't gotten to you yet because you were the last one on the list. Yeah. They're like, you talking to John? And I was like, should I? Like, yeah. Knowing I was trying to do a little research and they yeah. had some great things to say. Are you regular over there? Well, I stop by and I get to know them, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're young, enthusiastic uh, people over there. And, and, and I ask their names and then they ask my name and I spell their name out, make sure I got it right. I, I usually meet one or two new ones a week over there. Yeah, they're so. doing a great job over there too. Um, like I go... I used to work at like a health food store, like a, like a restaurant kind of like that. Sure. And it's not easy to know how all those ingredients play with like health. And it's not just like knowing what's in the ingredients, but it's also like, Oh, like what's your, you almost have to be like a doctor. Well, and how do you make it taste good? Right. Right. That's like, that's the art. Yeah. Too. So it's not easy to do what they're doing. And, uh, in just my, my two days experience being over there eating as clean as possible. Cause my stomach's been after me the past couple of days. Uh, it's been a good experience. Oh, there's a guy named Sharif that founded it. And oh, I, always, I always connect with his employees. I walk over there for a couple of times. I talk to him. They don't know who I am or what I do, but I always, you know, yeah. then we connect and we start telling stories together. You're super so friendly good. too. Awesome yeah. people. But we're here to talk about you All and right. your story. <clears throat> and uh, I also do want to say thank you before we get started for um, being so generous with your space. We recorded six interviews in this space uh, and you made it so, so easy. So oh, that's awesome, man. Thank, thank you. It was an honor to have you guys. I love yeah. all those people that have been here. So, yeah. All right. So I can't wait to dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? All right. Let me read it for you. I'm going to make sure I don't butcher the name, right? I was going through my list of quotes last night, preparing for this. Um, and I had a few good ones, but this is the one I picked out. It said, let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. No feeling is final. Rainer Maria Rilke, Rilke um, Austrian uh, poet, uh, 1875 to 1926. So. so why does that resonate with you? Well, I, I think it's, uh, I think it resonates hardcore, you know, and, and the, the more I, I travel through life and everything else, it's like, let everything happen to you. The, the beauty and the terror, you know, I mean, we strive so hard searching for those. I, I, I was listening to your, um, uh, that I told you I was listening Gavin to, Casey. to Gavin last yeah. night and it, it was like, and so many people I talked to even on, you know, on high level, high performers, it's like, we're, we've got these goals set. We we're searching for these beautiful moments and, there becomes the most, the most, the biggest growth comes in those terrifying moments, you know, the pain, the, the things that you learn from and, and you pivot out of. So I, I think that just sent uh, the message right home, you know, embrace it all because it's all going to happen. There's no utopian day or year or week. So we can, I, I know for me, I mean, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Well, something's going to happen next. It's very that, Buddhist. Yeah. It's like this, you yeah. know, this is what it is and just be happy. And choose to be happy. What do you think she meant by no feeling is final? Um, well, it's a he, oh, actually. He. And um, that's all good. I, I, I didn't realize until I really looked it up and did a little research. Um, no feeling is final. Is that what you said? What that, you? Was that in the quote? I thought. Yeah. So let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. No feeling. I mean, that, again, that just, that just resonates. It's like it, this too will pass, right? Like you're in the shit, you're in the muck, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this. Absolutely, you're allowed to say okay. It's a restaurant. It's a restaurant podcast. We know our so, target you know, we gotta have a little potty mouth. <laughs> but um, but you you know you're in it and it will pass. And you know I can certainly relate to the times when I thought they would never pass. But you know, no feeling is final. No sadness is final. No happiness sometimes is yeah. always final. Right. Um, I just think again to me it means let everything happen to you. The beauty and the terror, the good and the bad is going to happen. 
So let it happen. Don't fight it. Go with it. Right. And then and then work through it and and take that to 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 add to the next journey in life however you can. Yeah. You know. So I recently had Tom Sterner on the show, who's the author of The Practicing Mind, Fully Engaged, and I can't. There's a third one that's escaping my mind right now, but um, it's all about just mindset and the power of mindset. And one of the lessons that I, I pulled from that book is this 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 mindset of you are not your feelings. And I think that like in the moment, our feelings, our emotions get so swelled, right? And we're blinded. Our emotions take over the, you know, the executive suite in our brain and we're just reacting. We're, but being able to like control your emotions and to know that like maybe, maybe you're not where you want to be right now, but knowing that if you keep showing up, you're going to get one step closer every day. You'll get there. And where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. Oh, on that's that it, journey. man. That's yeah. that's that's my personal. That's what I mantra. hear yeah, when yeah, I hear yeah. that. Yeah, that's what came to my mind. Like I've been saying that a lot for myself for the last ten to fifteen years, right? But even with some folks that try to mentor along that work for me or whatever else, it's like where you are right now. If you can double and triple down on that, that's when the magic starts to happen, right? It's fighting like, well, maybe I should be here, or maybe I should have done that, or the past, or the future doubling down on where you are you're there for a reason we're here for a reason you know so we got to triple down on that double down on that awesome way to get this thing started man so take me to the beginning where does it make sense to start sharing your story i mean i was thinking about this so um i'm just gonna take my time when i answer here and 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 in general through this podcast i think if i really go back to the beginning um i go back to maybe my grandmother's kitchen um i go back to taking care of my brothers i was the oldest of three and even in fourth and fifth grade, I'd get them up for school and pack their lunches the night before. Um, and then, you know, my grandmother and, and my grandparents' house, uh, there's a lot of cooking, a lot of, we're from the mountains of North Carolina. So a lot of, you know, old school family cornbread recipes and fried nice. chicken and everything else. Right. And so, but, but to the point where there was that, that, that server's heart, you know, my, my grandmother was confined to a wheelchair and her crutches the last 20 years of her life. She had a rheumatoid arthritis and I go up there and stay with her and my, and my granddad and, you know, I wheel her around. I always took care of, of her in that aspect or I'd help with that. I was very helpful with that, but she would sit in the kitchen and, and direct us all where to go. Okay. Now you got to get, and she would always say your flower, get your flower. And I'm like, but that's not really my flower. That's your flower. But she would always say, now, now get your chicken, get your flower, you know, go, go ahead. And we, we had a green bean casserole. And, and so I think back as far what I typically do on that answer is, Hey, um, I started waiting tables when I was 20 and here we are, you know, and I go through that journey. But if I really like go back and I'm thoughtful about it, that's really kind of where it started, you know, early on. So what was the biggest lesson she taught you? Mm. Oh man. Biggest lesson in general. Or just what do you think she was trying to invoke in you when, when she would use the word like your, or something? Uh, take ownership of it, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that you've got your hands on it and I want to empower you to, to do it. Like I'm teaching you to do it. I'm not using you to do it for me. I'm teaching you to do it, which ultimately helps all of us. Right. 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 So, So, um, great lesson from grandma straight out of the gates. Thank you, grandma. Right. Yeah. And and then you said you were working in the industry at the age of 20 where, cause you were, you didn't, go to school for hospitality you didn't know in your teens that you wanted to be a bar owner yeah let me let me uh take that journey so i I say the only love loss that i have um at 10 years old i decided i was going to you know top gun had just come out what you think of the remix it was great fire dude incredible they did a great job they don't always do that you go look at boondock saints they didn't didn't do so well with the second you know (laughs) but top gun they nailed it so 
at 10 years old, I said, I'm going to the Air Force Academy. Um, I'm going to fly jets. I'm going to retire at 42 and then go do the next thing in aviation, whatever that is. So everything I did for that moment and um, like a lot of things that I think people talk about on this podcast and in in the world, I I set a goal and I, I got there. Everything I did. Every sport I continued to play, even the ones that I wasn't very good at, every uh, honor society, every grade, every whatever I could do to put that packet together to get to the Air Force Academy is what I did. And I got there. Um, and as soon as I got there, then I, if I look back and I'm honest, there was the now what? Here I am when now the real thing started, right? Um, so I left there. I ended up leaving there my junior year. And some some pretty serious family kind of structure fell apart and it hit me pretty hard. Um, as a young kid and, you know, we didn't have a lot growing up, but what we always thought we had and did have was, was our family. My parents split and my brothers went through a a terrible time. And, and so I ended up making some poor decisions like a 19 year old kid would things started steamrolling a little bit at the Academy and I, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get kicked out, but it was strongly encouraged uh, or suggested to me that maybe I should choose something else or else thing we're going to get a little, little wiry. Right. So So, were you, was it behavior? Um, well, you're looking at a place. So, so I walked onto the football and baseball team there. So division one program, uh, we beat Notre Dame my freshman year. Like six, three, I'm six, two, six, two. I was pretty fast. then. I was around like a four, (laughs) six, 40 and I was strong. And, uh, I weighed about 30 pounds less than I do do now. And I was four times stronger, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, so, so I walked onto the football team there. I had a lot going on. It's a military Academy. It's one, one of the hardest schools in, in the country by far, you know, it's a, you're, you're balancing military, you're balancing a, an Ivy league style education on top of the military stuff on top of playing division one sport. So all that going on, you can do it. Um, for me, the family dynamic was such a crucial part of my life is, is what it did when, when things started going a little sideways it took me out of the game and it took me out of the game long enough. I mean, this is kind of place where if you're 10 minutes late to class, you're getting written up and you're marching 10 tours, which is an hour walking back and forth on the weekend, you know? And so 10 of those just for being late on top of that. So, so that stuff can snowball really quickly. And I kind of got, got my head out of the game. And if, you know, if you're, you're, you're me now looking back at that person, then it's just kind of just, you know, just, just stay focused. Right. This, this, just like the quote, right? Like, and so that's that's really where that went, you know. And that was a short period of my life that had such a huge impact on my world. How right? did it impact you? Um, well, my best friends in the, in the world, some of you know that group of them are still my best friends today. Um, it was ultimately my dream. I wanted to fly fighter jets and go to the weapons school and do all the things we see in the movie, right? right. And uh, that was it. That was what I'd signed, you know, signed up for and I was committed to and for the next 20 years of my life, you know, and, and no questions asked. And, and those of us that were there together, we were going through stuff together. It was a, a really good camaraderie there, brotherhood that I've, I've had a hard time finding outside yeah. of there. So I don't know if you realize how much of your story is resonating with me right now. I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a commercial pilot. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. So I went to school for aviation. I got my degree in aviation flight operations, and I flew into the age of 26. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and I resigned from aviation because somebody probably should have told me, but when I was a junior, that I should be doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, for me, it was, I, I was passionate about the lifestyle, the the travel, the, sure. you know, every pilot that I knew was wealthy, had a nice home, had a beautiful wife, and they were living the dream, and they were cool people, and I just admired these people. And the lifestyle, again, 
wanted. I want to be able to go anywhere whenever I wanted. That, to me, was like the dream. Um, but I'm also colorblind, dyslexic, and have horrible ADHD. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, I should not be It's a focused career. Yeah, you know? man. Like, it's not for me. But, like, you try to tell the, uh, you know, I think I'm, I was probably around your age when I made the decision I wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. You know? Like, and I think what also people were trying to tell me, you should probably do something else. But I interpreted that as you don't think I can do it. Right. So now I have something to prove. Sure. Right? But I agree 100% with you that like I have my closest, some of my real closest friends today were the people that I went through ground school with when I went into the regionals because it's like, it's like drinking from a fire hose sure. trying to learn like a, a plane. Like you have like a couple of weeks to learn every system of this plane. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot and there's a lot of pressure. Your career is riding on this. It's moment. borderline impossible, right? Yeah, man. But you're there with people and you're, you're, you're going, getting through it. Exactly. Yeah. But you're, and you're going through it with people. So it's almost like shared trauma. Sure. Yeah. Where that's fair. Yeah. And like in, when you go through traumatic times with people, like it galvanizes, like it like connects you and like it makes like, you don't lose those relationships. It's crazy how that happens. No, that's, that's factual. And a crazy side story that, uh, I, I go to the reunions, Academy reunions. Like I, I, I played sports there. So it made, it made our group even smaller than the thousand people in our class. Right. And there's 4,000 people there and you know, a thousand per class and you're playing sports and, and the basketball team, football team, we all know each other. So, so I ended up making a lot of great connections just in general. And I went to the 10 year reunion, saw a ton of people I know and love. Um, and everybody, I think, was – they didn't want to admit it, but everybody was real stretched in their stomach. Like, it was PTSD of being – a place like that will do that to you. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're top of your game. You go to a place, you get stripped of everything for an entire year where most of your friends are partying and you're ironing your underwear on a Friday night for an inspection on Saturday, right? Do they really inspect your underwear? Well, not while you're wearing it, though. No, I mean, you go <laughs> – but, but there's this book. Your closet. You get this little book. It's called Contrails, right? It's like yeah. your, your, your training manual, but for your – first your your freshman year and in there are these pictures of how your dresser drawer is supposed to look with the four by four square here with your yeah. your underwear and the 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 10 by six square over here with your shirt and then so on and so forth and, and you get graded on that on a saturday morning inspection while you're getting lit up well, those are such great lessons though on like just like like discipline and organization and you know people are depending on you show up if you don't show up when you say you're going to show up like you're going to go walk like there's consequences for, yeah. I mean, I think that I, in hindsight, kind of wish I went through the military program. Honestly, I, I think the reason why I didn't was because I'm kind of a dummy and I knew they'd put me on the front lines. <laughs> oh, they certainly pick like, you out if they yeah. can, you know, like emotional and social intelligence only goes so long. Uh -oh. I feel like in the military, you're going to be like quick and like have a technical skill. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to push it. I'm trying to find loopholes in everything in my life. And that's a bad <laughs> quality to have somewhere like that where you're, where they don't, they frown on loop, loopholes a little bit, you know? Right. So. Exactly. So sorry, keep on going. This no, it was, we were years. thinking about something. Uh, I, you know, I just think, um, then you start looking back on experiences like that and, and, and like anything you go through, whether it's, you know, working for a boss that's, that runs a really tight ship and, and you, you feel beat down or whatever else. You look back on, on what you just mentioned, which are these valuable lessons. And you got to get through that trauma to go back and look at it, how important and impactful they can be forever going forward, you know. So yeah. so when did you start thinking like this, like the, the hospitality industry? Maybe this is what I want to do. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I left the academy. I moved to Boulder, Colorado. Um, in my head, I talked to uh, – my girlfriend at the time, her, her brother had just gotten out of the army and he was, um, he was working at a restaurant talking about all the money he made, you know? And I was like, well, what restaurant was it? Here's it was the rainforest cafe. Oh yeah. Dude, oddly enough, I met the founder of the rainforest cafe when I was in Minneapolis last. Tillman Fertitta? 
I should know his name. It's escaped me. Yeah. But it was quick. It was real quick. Um, and uh, we're going to try to get him on the show. But this, he's an interesting character. Well, I mean, it was an inter- interesting place. I mean, it rained every 30 minutes. Uh, a lot of Bumbaleo songs. Bumbaleo. <laughs> you know? And uh, there are animatronics and everything else. And, and, and a giant fish tank that a guy in a scuba uh, suit would clean while you're... Steve Shushler. Okay. That's who it was. Yeah. yeah. So that was my first job. I mean, I, I don't know enough of the history of Rainforest Cafe, but it was my first restaurant job at the Cherry Creek Mall in Denver. Um, I was commuting, consequently, back and forth from Boulder with a buddy of mine that I went to the academy with. We, we left at the same time, and he decided he didn't want to work in a restaurant anymore. So that means I didn't have a ride to the restaurant. So the, that was the first restaurant job I quit as well. And, uh, you know, I think the thing was is, is – so, so when you when you go in to I guess waiting tables for the first time, all of a sudden you're connecting with people at the, the side of their table, and then you're leaving with some cash in hand. That's kind of fun, but you start le- learning about food and drinks and service and stuff like that. So that's where it started. And then the second job I had, so I, I was ski instructing uh, three days a week. So I was hitchhiking up to Copper Mountain, and then I'd come back. So I basically worked seven days a week. I'd work Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, I'm sorry. Wednesday through Sunday at the restaurant, and then I would I would hitchhike up to the mountain and work Monday through Wednesday at the at the mountain. And so, the restaurant I worked at was a place called the Flagstaff House. It was in Boulder, Colorado. Um, Eighteen thousand bottles of wine in the cellar, or something like that. Um, you know, wine. Spe- years is this? If you don't mind me. This is nineteen ninety eight. Okay. Uh, f- wine Spectator Grand Award. I think forty years at that point, or twenty. I'm sorry, twenty eight years at that point, and. Fine dining, French style of service. It was a family-owned place. Um, one of the brothers was the chef. The other one was the general manager. The, the dad had founded the place. It set up on the side of the mountain in Boulder, and it had it was an old house that just kept getting added to. It was a beautiful restaurant, and that style of service at the time, you know, clear and set at the same time. There was bread service, and I remember coming from the academy in this restaurant, getting trained. And it wasn't like, oh, cool. Well, you're a high performer. You can go get on the floor right now and, and wait tables and make four or five hundred bucks a night. It was a serious rite of passage, right? And, um, you know, I think they've they just brought a guy, an Iron Chef, on recently. I, I I went there five years ago and had dinner, and my old roommate from Boulder, uh, not the one that I went to school with, but a roommate that worked at the restaurant, was still there waiting tables. Wow. He had put. Uh, you know, two, his two daughters all the way through high school, they're in college, still there. A couple, one or two other people were still there from when I worked there in 98. This was probably 2017. I do remember getting trained on bread service, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back there and there's an, another back weight, you know, saying, hey, you know, listen, this is what we do. You know, you're going to go to the table, dear sir, madam, you know, we have four selections of bread here. This is a walnut spice. It's made here in town. This is a baguette we make in house. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm going to go and do this whole thing over, over bread. Can I just give the bread to the people, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that from that moment forward is when it bit, you know, it bit the, the fine dining, um, steps of service, the presentation, some of the worst 
customers you can imagine at times right yeah very entitled very that's um, the thing that deserving. i don't think i would like about that is just like i want to like have i want to like be friends with the people i'm serving sure you know and i want them to appreciate the genuine hospitality right yeah. a connection i think part of the reason why we do hospitality is because we want to be appreciated you know i hate to say it there's like that, that that truth of like i'm doing this because i the, the reward for me is your satisfaction Sure. Right. And if you don't get that reward, it's like, well, well, that's the drug, right? right. That's the addiction, the, right. the gratification of that. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, and that never left me that, that attentiveness that, you know, when the, when the food went to go out, <clears throat> we all lined up, you know, sometimes in a, you know, like in a, in a more casual restaurant, you know, the expos, they're asking for hands, you know, in that restaurant, it was not even a question, you know, we were 10 or 12 people on the floor when, when a table went to go out, you know, Everybody had a plate in each hand and we, we went out and they all went down at one time, you know, and so that was pretty cool. And the attentiveness of it, uh, the steps of service, just paying attention and delivering something that was certainly on on stage. Um, and and uh, so that never left me. I worked in a lot of high volume nightclubs and and. Stuff like that for for a while. Um, What's the internal dialogue? Are you just trying to pay the bills, or are you thinking to yourself, "I might do this someday"? You know, I think the internal dialogue in the beginning. You know, my story's not like, "Oh my god," you know, I, I I wanted to be on the cover of this magazine or work my way through this. The internal dialogue was like, "I think this is where I can make money and still go out and have a good time at night and sleep in a little later tomorrow." You right. know. And the cash is there, and it's funny. I work with fun, crazy, wild people. And I mean, I'm gonna be know. honest, man. That's the draw for me when yeah. I first. I love the people in this industry. It's, it's it's the people you work with and the people you party with afterwards. You know, we're fun people. Yeah, man, we, we do, do a lot of partying afterwards. You know? Yeah, we, we. And I'm growing out of that as I as I am like in my mid 30s now. Like, but when I was younger, when I started this podcast, when I was 26, that was what I loved about the industry was the the people, the camaraderie. Like, and and I mean, I. Yeah, I don't have to say anymore. Well, it's kind of—I mean—you interviewed a couple of people the last couple of days that aren't hospitality people. Will from right. Schedule Fly, I love that guy. Absolutely love that guy. He's such a great backbone oh, for the industry, heart. man. Yeah. He's such a big cheerleader and support guy. And listen, to him talk about throwing starfish in the ocean. Have you, have you heard that? I haven't one? heard that one. I've heard a lot of stories, yeah. but I'll ask him about that. <laughs> I did hear, consequently, that Will was potentially number 24 or something for you. And then also number 1000. Yeah. We got him back. You know, yeah, so that um, was 10 years ago. He said he made 10 years you. ago. I mean, schedule fly is still very like they're killing it, man. Like they're a, a very simple solution for a, a complex 5,500 customers. They run that whole company yeah. with six people and, and they, they are cho- on it. And they, they, they've chose to keep it simple when they could have added like bells and whistles and like crazy integrations. But there's a, a place in the world for Jake. Keep it simple, stupid. Terrace? Yeah, and they're crushing it. They're continuing to crush it. And uh, I think Schedule Fly and the Hot Schedules were like the two options out there when I had them on the show. Sure. But yeah, we reconnected. It was awesome. It's great. You know, I mean, they, they refused to integrate. And it, 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 I, I, the reason I connected with Will is I sent him a kudos through email. I had sent an email to Hank, which is their support guy, but it just says support at Schedule Fly. Thinking like with anybody, you send a request email and, you know, like a support ticket into, you're going to hear, you're going to have to stay on them day after day. The next morning, this was what, midnight, the next morning at 10, I saw an email come through. It was fixed. Hey, we got that taken care of, John. And like every other time I did that. And so I had to say, listen, you guys are incredible. Like I know it's scheduling and I know it's this or that, but I just want to let you know you did an awesome job. And then Will reached out to me directly, CEO of the company and a founder of the company and 
co-founder and, and said, Hey, would you like to be on the podcast? And I'm like, man, this is after that, it's, it's a done deal, you know? And, yeah. and that was my first podcast I was ever on was with Will. Nice. And then some, then you go into Dave, uh, Nitzel, who's a corporate guy from way back. And, and he's drawn to this bar metrics thing that, that they help us with our inventory. But, but these are non industry people completely enthralled with what we do because it's different and unique than any other industry in so many ways in the world, you know? And so to your point, I guess, is to bring it full circle, you know, you've got these people that are drawn to that part of it. You meet these, these characters and these people that you may never meet in, in other ways, you know, there's, I guess there's Hollywood, there's like actors and stuff like that, but we're like the bootleg version of that, you know, right. we're just these, these misfits just uh, trying to do all this cool stuff. So Local people, celebrities. yeah. So people will just come back and see us again. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's almost what you have to do, you know? So, so at what point did you start thinking like, I want to start making moves, to open my own place? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a great question. I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with that. That's what I was thinking yesterday. Like I, if, if I really go back to it, I'm honest with myself right now. People ask me that question all the time. When I left the academy, I was in Colorado for a year. And then I had a girlfriend who had graduated from the academy who was just beating me down about getting back into school. And so I came east back to North Carolina and transferred to NC State. Um, and... Uh, you know, NC State's an engineering school, so my ego says that I have to get an engineering degree, right? Like I was good, at, I'm good at math and science. So that's, I can see how that could help a restaurant tour, though. Sure, the idea of just process. Uh, well, I was an industrial engineering major, which is all process yeah. manufacturing and ergonomics and all that stuff. We so, are a manufacturing company. Yeah, like we restaurants are. is manufacturing from the product receivement, the you know raw goods all the way to final products. Like I thought, something was wrong with me when I would design bar my bars and I would go into this because I, I was a career bartender. I, I bartended for 13 years. Okay. Um, and I thought something was wrong with me when I started doing the, the trash can glass rack, ice well, like Tetris game, like over and over and over and over <laughs> again. And, 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 and where do we put this and that? And then, ergonomics, man. Yeah, man. And I, and, and that was what I had studied, I guess. So in a weird way that made sense. And I was always behind a bar. So that made sense. What's the term for like, there's ergonomics, which is like the physical, like what, like you want to be able to do things so your body lasts, but there's another thing like, like, units of motion or something like that like the fewer steps you take like time like the, the, the quicker you can get through like a process like using low boys right to have all of your your prep stuff and like what, what's that term called you know i i don't i don't know it's probably i'm probably not smart enough to know i'm sure it's a good term but i can tell you that all i ever knew when when i started bartending when i was 21 22 got fired from my first job and then my second job i ended up at this nightclub here in raleigh with, I was 22 years old, and the next youngest guy was 29. And he was like the so this all- is after you were in Boulder. Yeah, so so I moved I moved back to to North Carolina, enrolled at NC State, getting my engineering degree. Got into bartending, said I'll never work in a restaurant ever again, right? Um, but I, I started working with these guys, and they were so hard on me, right? And they were old school, like drink slinging, like well-known every, you know, they, these were the people that had been the anchors of Raleigh and all these different bars. And you start hearing the old stories and man, this place was, this was the place and we all worked there together, but they were so hard on me. But the thing was, is I never knew any different, right? Like I never knew any different that like your, your, your workstation is supposed to look like this. And, and in a nightclub, people don't often associate that. Like when I started working with those guys versus the, 
the place I'd work right before that, it was like, you fold your towels. And I was like, yeah, but this is a club. Like we're just music's playing. Like we're just pouring a bunch of drinks and they're like, yeah, I don't care. You fold your towels this way. You put them over here. So when you need to grab them, they're there. This is how we set up the well. This is where the glassware goes. This is how much, you know, it's pretty easy prep limes and lemons we cut and we fill up, you know, our juice uh, store and pours and stuff like that. But that's why we do this. And at the end of the night, this is why you organize your credit card receipts so we don't miss any tips. And I'm like, oh, man, these guys are really tough on me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that goes back into what you were saying, which is like you never want to have to step when you're, when you're behind a bar. It's, it's really good when you don't have to step anywhere. Everything's within reach, you know, like behind this bar at the merchant, you know, there's a freezer and a cooler and a freezer and a cooler on each side of three wells so that even the middle well and the far wells have access to freezer and coolers as quick as they can get to them, you know? And yeah. so, so that is, but I mean, all that little stuff compounds seconds. We're in the business of nickels yeah, and dimes and seconds. It's, it's a throughput. How many drinks can you serve in this given period of time? And if you have lines, that's money. The faster you can get through that line, the, the more drinks you can sell. You yeah, know? you got the same amount of people in the building, and if your workstations and your flow is set up right, you're going to make more money. Yeah. They're, they're going to order more. You're going to get it to them faster. It's going to be it's going to work. Right. You know, and every then, time. Yeah, and then what your 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 previous guests or your previous bosses, um, what they were teaching was this mise en place. Like, yeah, you don't need to go looking for something. You know, like keep it clean. You know, I, I learned that word a little bit more. Um, later when I was older and when I swore I'd never work in a restaurant again, and then I started opening restaurants, right? <laughs> I had done, I had opened bars of my own. That, and, and so I guess, you know, getting back to you, you said, when did you know? Um, I, I think what it, what it really is, is I got this engineering degree. Um, I didn't go to class because I was bartending and having the time of my life and making more money than most people I knew that were graduating, which is kind of a trick, right? Cause eventually they make more money. So you gotta be careful. But, um, <laughs> And I was working, what, 12 hours a week? You know, I was working at a high-volume nightclub, and I'd make 12, 1,500 bucks a week, and I'd work three nights a week, and I'd only have to come in for, like, you know, from 10 to 2 some nights. And and uh, and so I was prolonging my college career because in the engineering program, you actually have to go to class yeah. or you don't do well, right. you know. And uh, I have some horror stories of, like, wait, I got an exam tomorrow, and I'd stay up all night in the library thinking I could do it and still fail these, these exams the next day. So I kind of get kicked in and out of the engineering program, right? And then to do that, I would take uh, business classes to get my major's GPA back up, get back into, into that and keep moving. I wasn't going to give up, right, because I'm hard, too hard-headed, dumb to, to do that. And um, But I think I think really the, the business side of things was something that, that I understood better, that, that resonated with me. And, and if I take it all the way back, you know, my first entrepreneurial gig – I sold puppies outside of a Kmart in the cold when I was in third grade, right? <laughs> My mom checked me out of school one day. Um, our, our dog had had puppies in a culvert under the driveway, and she tied a string to my waist, and I crawled, crawled through here, pulled all the puppies out. And the next thing, you know, however many, six weeks later or whatever, I'm standing out with a, with a, with a grocery cart outside of Kmart, you know, slinging puppies to, <laughs> to buy Christmas presents, right? So, so it goes back to that. And then in uh, – fifth sixth and seventh grade i had a pretty serious uh, candy hustle uh raspberry blow pops were all the rage then nice. and so i was slinging those and uh so i mean i i think if, if i'm being honest about it that's where it came from and i think my dad had a big you know creative influence and in like i said we didn't we didn't grow up with a whole lot and uh but you know hey go do this you know buy this here sell it there and you'll have some money and you can 
you know, buy some things or, right. or, or do some things or whatever. So that's where it started. And then this, this business thing, and, and now I, I really do love to your point that engineering uh, background helps in so many ways, you right. know, like being a spreadsheet nerd or yeah, systems or integrations and stuff like that. And in a weird way, it's like most things, sometimes it hurts when you know just enough to get yourself in trouble. Right. Um, but so, so I did the business thing and that was a lot of fun um, to, you know, I ended up with a minor in business and I squeaked out of that engineering program. And, and it was so funny that the last summer I was, I was going to graduate I went to class every day and I got A's in classes that I got D's in before, you know? And so that was just the, the proof was in the putting the showing up, right? Like you just got to show up sometimes. It's, and it's, yeah, you know, and I always say it's not easy in that heart, you know, like yeah. it, to have the discipline to show up, it could be, it's not easy, but it, when you do show up, it compounds. Sure. Yeah. Um, so your first restaurant you opened in 2000 or your first nightclub, was it? Yeah. So, to, so, so again, to continue that, that, that journey, um, 2000, January 6, 2012, I opened the Architect Bar. Um, I signed a lease, August, a lease August 2011. Um, I think that I had been on the grind, and, and I think when you're a worker in it, um, I was bartending and I was managing, and you'd get to, you'd put an offer in on a, on a deal, and then they'd take someone else, and then you're like, oh, man, it's just not meant to be, right? What you learn later on is as an entrepreneur – you got to take a lot of shots to hit a target. Right. And so I, I would get going a little bit and then someone to work out and I'd fall back and am I going to get my real job, which is, <clears throat> you know, in a, in a daytime engineering type role or what am I going to do? Am I going to get out of this industry? Am I going to do something different? You know, and I never really was committed. I don't think to saying this is, this is my, my career, right? This is my, you know, I'm a, I, I, 22 years old, I got voted best bartender in the triangle. That's my accolade, right? I got a call. Are oh, you really done it now? I'm like, oh shit. You know, it was my bosses. And I was like, what I do now? You know? And they were like, well, you're just one best bartender in the triangle. So like, why'd you think you won? I'm sure it's a popularity contest of sorts, you well, know, what made you popular? <clears throat> connecting with the people, Yeah. you know, um, as quickly as I could. And, and I think I, I've always been able to do that, you know? Um, and sometimes a little bit more quiet and then, more forward and I, I like to make those lasting friendships you know but I, but i i remember people's faces i remember their names even when they didn't remember mine and you know i tried to be i mean i was kind of a bigger than life person then you know i was like pretty outward person even though uh, later on i learned i'm i'm an introverted extrovert i, I got about an ambivert oh yeah well there's Brand a new word yeah. ambivert I got a t-shirt made a little balance yeah yeah i got a recharge at home and i realized that later on but but connecting with the people, remembering the people, being passionate about whatever it was that I was doing. If, if I was slinging drinks, I want to be really good at it. Like I was learning from all these old guys that were busting my balls every day, you know? And so, um, there, that was part of it. And you know, it, it, it's a, it's a good accolade. It was a good local accolade. And some, and then later 2006 hall of fame bartender, just so you know, here in the Raleigh area, nice. you know? So, um, so you're learning the business in the grind. You're in it. You're yeah. going after it. Like this is your this is your education. Your your barman education. And and that's that's really you know that's where we really pick it up. And so, you know, took a few shots, missed a few shots. An opportunity came along, and I I was working in the worst job that I ever had in the industry at the moment. And I was I had been grinding before that. I was had three different bartending jobs. I was partnered as a, as like a 2% partner in a restaurant and I was on my grind and I went to go help these guys open a bar 
and it was really, really kind of tough environment. It was kind of toxic. It was just not, it was not my tribe, right? Even though there were some people there that I'd hired and I was a manager there and I kind of consulted in a way to get open. It, it was not a good job for me, especially when I was on my upward swing of saving money and bartending a few gigs and looking to open my own place. I was 31 ish, 32 at the time. And a friend of mine, good, uh, a guy named G Patel here in town introduced me to my current, one of my current landlords now and, and at the architect bar in the space that, that, that was over there. And I said, this is it, man. If you'll, if you'll let me in here, this is it. And I had, I had a business partner at the time and, and you know, we had, he had 10 grand. I had 10 grand. It was like everything we'd scrapped to save along the way, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, spent everything else, I think, but, um, man, we gave the guy the, the security deposit in the first month's rent and then we were out of money, you know? So, and, and that was it. That was, that was August, 2011. So. 2011. I did see that there was a stint doing medical sales from 2009. Yeah. That was a good little, yeah, I mean, but that was fun too though, right? Like you learn how to go out and knock on doors. And I think after I got told no the third time, you know, that's a big fear. Like well, you're, you're used to not being told no a lot. And then you, you knock on a door and you get the door slammed in your face a couple of times. You're like, Oh, well, this is like, easy. I'll just yeah. keep knocking. But right? bartenders make good, great salespeople. I mean, because it's about relationships at the, at the end of the day, are you likable? Yeah. You know? Like, I think that's really what sales comes down to. And do you believe in the product? You know, yeah. one of the biggest challenges I saw in that transition was as a bartender, you're used to people to come into you. Right. right. And you got to deliver. As a salesperson, you got to go get it, and then you got to deliver, right? Right. So um, that's that's an ego shift, I think. Right, right. So 2010, 95 Group, managing partner. Yeah. That was just before you opened your your first place. Was this strategic? Were you thinking, like, I need to go work as as an owner with, like, equity? It was uh, Shiny Object Syndrome. You know, it's a good friend of mine uh, that I knew here in Raleigh. He's a DJ. His name's Brian Orr. Went by DJ Twist, and uh, he had left Raleigh and moved back to New York, where he's from originally. He's a Brooklyn guy, and uh, you know he's very—he's got a lot of ideas. He's—he's uh, he's always got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, he was talking about the '95 group. Um, you know, the the play on it is you know, nine I ninety five, but yeah. then also his uh, his residence was ninety five Wall Street, and it was an old bank building where. Uh, you had an apartment that you'd like split down the middle with someone. They bring in these like fake walls to help you divide the the overly expensive apartment, right? right. And that's like a whole business. You bring in walls for people. Um, and, uh, you know, we did, the whole premise was throw some events um, and then somehow find these middle tier DJs, um, you know, because you've got the three and four hundred dollar night guys that at that time they were kind of undercutting each other because serato was coming on and and you could anybody could be a dj you show up with your macbook and your serato box and and you can you can do it and if if you're a a college kid in in manhattan at the time um and you knew a bunch of other great good-looking rich college college kids you're getting hired right right because it's all about image yeah like like creating that image to draw people in it's it's psychographics. Like yeah. People want to associate with that. Yeah, and you you know it's just like you you get a promoter and a DJ for one lower price because this kid's never DJ before. So my my friend was like you know trying to scrap for some gigs himself, but but being a veteran look, looking to get paid for for that experience. And there was a there was a shift going on in the industry at that time. So you got your Tiestas of the world that were starting to get the Vegas gigs and DJ Vice and some of those guys, and they were getting you know they were they were getting paid and then you got 
the other guys that are almost do it for free. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got these great DJs that needed, needed to be booked and needed to be represented. So that was kind of the premise of that. And I got to kind of, you know, I got to play, play in a, in a fun thing where I lived in Raleigh and then I'd jump on a plane and we'd go do a, do a, uh, an event at, uh, Thompson hotel on the, on the rooftop on the lower East side. And, and I met a awesome guy. His name's Otto. He was a lead promoter at greenhouse, uh, the nightclub there. And so, you know, it just went from, you know, go to cities when I was 23, 24, somehow scrapping to try and get in the door at that, at marquee or some of these other big, great, badass places. And then all of a sudden it's like, you, you bypass the line, you walk in, they sit you down at a table here, John, grab a, grab a drink and let's go talk some business. And I'm like, well, this is great. And then I run into Buster Rhymes in the basement and do a shot of tequila with him. You know, I'm like, well, this is cool. Right. You know? So fun, um, strategic only because I, you know, no matter what, until, until I really committed everything that I did that I felt like I did was, was value add to what I was doing at the time. And I, I really was in love with nightlife and bartending. I was, in, I was in love with it. So, you know, what was the, what was the appeal for you? Uh, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's, you get access to things that, I mean, some people, you know, try to make, have to make a billion dollars to do, you know, you've got, you meet people, um, you get handed tickets, you get invited to things, you, you know, it's just, it's, 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 there's a lot that goes on. You can live a a, kind of high, uh, profile lifestyle as a not high profile person, you know? And so that was, that was the fun part. The music I loved, you know, meeting people in the industry and being able you know, to bypass that right. line and be somebody, but the high five, you know? Yeah. yeah. The camaraderie. I get it. Man. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. We're going to talk about you and your first restaurant, the architect. Sure. The architect, yeah. right? Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your callers' needs? Redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guests across the counter. Reachify is powerful and flexible. For example, with advanced automation and call deflection, Reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverts callers to online actions such as online ordering or reservations, which means orders come in faster and more accurately. Reachify delivers safe and secure communication across multiple platforms with intelligently routed messages to the right people, thereby increasing accountability within the team, allowing your in-office and mobile teams to stay connected. With Reachify, you save hours of labor expense by reducing dedicated phone staff. As a matter of fact, some Reachify users have seen a reduction in 40% of their phone staff. That's pretty good. And how's this for a cherry on top? There are no long-term contracts. That's awesome. Reachify. Be in control of the conversation you want to have when you want to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. We're back and um, tell me about how you saw, like how this opportunity came onto your radar. Take us to that point. Well, you know what? I was having a really shitty night at work, and I texted my, my friend. My, you know, I, I can't say enough. I've, I've known this guy for a long time. Um, local guy here, 
known him since he was 18. He was promoting parties at a nightclub I was working at, and we thought he was 23, 24. He always wore suits and drank champagne. So by the time he was 27 or 28, he had five restaurants and bars. Damn. And um, so he was a man about town. He always wore suits. He always uh, batted, you know, punched far above his weight class when it came to uh, the perception of, of what was going on. And and he had his finger on the pulse, and he still does. But at that time, you know, I was having a terrible night at work, and I'm still a, a, a worker bee, you know, still working for people. And I felt like I was working really hard for people. And I texted him, and I said, what are you doing? And he was over at, at Sullivan's, and I wandered over, and he said, I don't know if I mentioned like, Hey, is there anything or whatever? He said, Hey, I got a space. You should come look at it. I said, when can we go? And we may have gone just a couple of days later or, or whatnot. And I, I walked up the stairs where the architect is now. And it'd been, it, it, when you walk up the stairs, the entire ceiling is a skylight. And if you look at it from Google maps, it's a perfect arrow that points due South. But but I didn't realize that at the time, but it's got these like um, kind of opaque panels. They were kind of yellowed, but but you walk up the stairs and then suddenly I'm like, yo, this roof is just like a whole skylight. It was really dope. Um, but, you know, we got in there and, and to be honest with you, uh, pretty much at that time, whatever space we could kind of get our hands on or I could get my hands on at that time. Yeah, like, let's you're go. You're ready for something next. You're, you're ready, ready for right? Next thing. Yeah. And, and you realize like. When you know the industry, when you know you're going to be there day in and day out, and you're going to do whatever it takes, you can bartend if you have to, you can work the front door, you can manage it, um, you are somewhat unstoppable, right? Like right. That, 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 is, that is factual, and then you, you, you put the butts in the seats, and you just got to try and run a good business with those couple of things that maybe you learned over what the years. What were your biggest struggles as a first-time restaurant opener? You're opening a restaurant. Um, you know, I think I, – I, I, th- I think in, in – that realm i think the fear of you know it's a very dynamic you know even in a small market like you can be the coolest thing this year and yesterday's news you know by the beginning of next year you know and so um i i think there was a little bit of inherent fear in there where it's like if something at all went a little bit sideways i was i was overly reactive to it you know and um and, you know, with the time machine going back in time, I'm like, we'll just keep doing the good stuff, keep improving the space, keep doing things a little differently than anybody else would in a, in a bar like this. You know, I, I opened a bar in downtown Raleigh on a second floor right beside the bus station. And uh, we put a DJ in there and uh, started doing bands, you know, Fridays. And I was going to do DJ Saturday, but then I put a band in there and we do half the revenue with twice the cost. And right. people are just looking. You got to give the people what they want. And so... We did DJs. We did three bottle service tables. We had craft beer. We had a small craft cocktail program, and we had high volume drinks too. You know, and that was that was unique at that time. Um, but we had the audience for it. And um, Raleigh's this this little pocket we're in right here, this this Fayetteville Street side of Raleigh, the downtown proper, it's more little restaurant cocktail bar driven. So you you do more of a, a, a I never call it a nightclub. I hate that word in so many ways, but I call it a bar. And people are like, often, are you at your club? I'm like, I'm at my bar, you know? And so, <laughs> so I think that was, I, th- I think the reactive nature of it, like, I, you know, there was, there were some times when if I could go back and I was, I was more patient and not so like, you know, my, my internal worries were, were coming out on the outside. And that worry know? was that you were going to be a trend. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'd seen it, I'd seen it come and go a lot of times. And um, why being, why would it be different being known as a bar, not a nightclub or were nightclubs in your opinion, more 
transient? Well, I, f- I feel like nightclubs typically they charge covers, and typically by the time you, were you, you charging a cover? I wasn't, um, and I'd seen a couple bars over the years that didn't, and and I felt like I had a better shelf life, and I think we kind of started that trend too. Um, the whole idea is, and even now, competition is, in, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily exist. Um, we raised the bar together, but density is very important and there were if there's enough bars and thriving businesses around you you want people to be able to come and go in and out of all your doors and i certainly wouldn't want to be the door where people didn't want to come into because they had to pay a cover charge right right and i believe in that wholeheartedly that was still that's still the case and um so i didn't charge a cover it was elevated but not exclusive um you know shorts are fine um, and, and I found like running some nightclubs, especially in smaller markets where you don't have that constant influx of tourism and man, I'm going to go here and I'm going to pay whatever it takes to get in and whatever else it's, it, it can be, um, you know, you can exclude people and then eventually the people that are willing to pay the cover and keep coming back are, are really not the people that you probably want in your business, you right, know, right. you know, so they, they're not connected with your business. Were there any, like aside from the self-awareness and being less reactive, were there any hard, like any hard lessons you learned, like, any face plants, things that like, if you just were a little more experienced with ownership, you could have seen it coming. Yeah. I mean, again, the patience with uh, maybe some of the operators I worked with early on, like uh, just, just being more, positive together instead of like me trying to say we have to do it this way or or putting my foot down too hard at times i will say my my failures and my my answer to that question came a few years later as i was expanding um you know at that point i think it was more just like the personal um being settled a little bit more and and everything else and 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 i think those that that was often the, the the reactive nature and the quick pivot and, and this and that were the things that I wish I could go back and maybe do a little differently then. Got it. You know, just, just uh, being overly reactive. So you, know? you had a three year run before opening your next concept, which I think is level up 2014. Yeah. So, so it goes, it goes kind of like this architect, um, open January 6, 2012. Um, I had a little room with the bookshelf door, um, and I put the bookshelf door in when I opened, it was an idea of a friend. We should put a bookshelf door there. I'm like, Oh, cool. All right. And we'd open that room up just for overflow. We had a little Red Bull shooter bar in the corner and we'd do beers and shots and it'd be extra space for people to hang out. And my brother and I were sitting there one night. He's like, Oh, you should put a speakeasy here. And he was doing a lot of cocktails at the time. He was on the show that was based out of Denver and, and, uh, I said, okay, cool. That sounds great. Are you going to do cocktails? Cause I don't really know how to do cocktails. And he's like, sure, I'll do them. And then he took off and went to, I don't know, somewhere, uh, Panama, the country DC. I don't know. He was kind of a nomad <laughs> at that point. And, um, so I was left, uh, you know, kind of holding bag there. And, and the question was going to be, okay, cool. I'm going to put a speakeasy behind a bookshelf door in a place that's already a bar. And at that time, speakeasies were, they had to be these, you know, in a barber shop, or they had to right. be that. Secret. So I thought I was going to catch some shade from the right. from the cocktail guys, the speakeasy know. crowd. Yeah, but the loyalists um, came out of the gate. We opened the, the green light uh, September 2013, and um, you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to try and manage that and, and take hold of that, especially when you got two very different operations. And for me, it makes sense, but for some operators, it, it's hard to say. Well. And I'm so tired of trying to make this work so differently. Can we just open the doors to the green light and just can we just make it another bar from the architect? And 
there was a lot of strongholding to the to get that and like focus on the cocktails and learning more about cocktails and communicating on that and having the right people behind the bar and then managing that flow of we had we had a phone at the time you text ahead and first come first serve no reservations and it worked out pretty good but um you know i i think over time it continued to evolve and that space in general has gotten more pr completely unpitched totally organic um it's been in Rolling Stone. Really? It's been in little blurbs, little fifteen seconds of fame kind of deals. Nice. Um, uh, Delta Sky Mag USA Today. It was on Thrillist three times. So it was best in the in the U.S. and best in the world, like speakeasies. Which, again, there are some really incredible bars around the world. This was 2013 to 16 era, and I think you know we just kind of got some some folks that like the content of what it was and. Never pitched it. We get a notice. I, I swear every time I thought it was spam, you know, but then architecturaldigest.com ran an article. Um, the, the, the three thil- thrillists, um, you know, there are a couple other that I'm leaving out, but, but it was so kind of cool. What was it that was different about this space? If you could drill down to figure out what it was that they loved about it. You right? know, I, I think what was interesting is what I was worried about it at first, right? It was like, oh, well, we're in this busy bar where a lot of people wouldn't resonate. I mean, it was – I opened the architect and there was a line around the block every Friday and Saturday night all the way up until COVID. Um, and you go in there and it is busy and we are playing – the best open format DJ set you can imagine literally everything but country music and people are loving it. They're having the time of their lives. And so people, it wasn't for some people, you know, it's just not for people to me. I love it. It's a lot of fun, you know, but then we put this, this speakeasy cocktail bar in there. And what I was concerned about where I was saying, well, maybe we'll catch some shade that it's not a barbershop or a hot dog stand. And you go into a bar. I think what did kind of create something really cool about that is you go from this really loud, busy, um, party environment and you go through that door and the door closes behind you and it is a completely different vibe. Right. It is, it is dark. It is, the music's good. So it's the juxtaposition. Yeah. And I I think maybe that had something to do with that. Juxtaposition is huge. When you go from one extreme to the next, it makes that next experience seem that much more different and unique, you know? And I think people like that, you know, getting back to the density thing, like, um, I don't have to be that much better or different than this bar over here. But we have we all have to have really good bars, and maybe we are different because people want uh, variation in their night. You know, they like to do something a little different. I want to. I mean, I'm here for an hour and a half. Okay, now I'm drunk and I'm a little, or had a few drinks and my ADD's kicking in. I want to go do something a little different. You yeah, know. Yeah. So if you can capture that in one space, um, that was what was the name of that that speakeasy? The Green Light. The Green Light. Yeah, and that was in the same building. Yep, same building, still yeah. there. There's, they're both still there on um, the Architect, and then the Green Light in 2013, and then and then level up, level up. Um, in this building we're sitting in right now, in this space actually that we're sitting in right now. Um, I opened Level Up in February of 15. I made that connection because I looked it up. Yeah. And it brought me to, I was like, that's where I am right now. Yeah, you're sitting right here. <laughs> so I was curious, what was the story behind that? Because you, you guys opened in 2014. And when did you, when when did um, Virgil's and um, The Merchant come to life? Okay, so so this building, sign lease, August 14. Um. The whole arcade bar thing was supposed to be sort of a layup, right? Um, there were no other arcade bars in town. A friend of ours had one that he was running in Denver that 
called the one up and he was a manager there and and the guys that did they, they absolutely killed it it was early yeah the the, the arcade the what do they call it the there's a name for it um, the barcade run yeah yeah like um, which you can't use that word though you'll get a cease and desist it's uh, trademarked by which, a barcade which barcade uh, the ones that, the guys out of New York, they oh, they, right. they trademarked. I mean, I think we can use it here, but I couldn't use it in my social well, media. Spe- well, yeah, because we're not claiming to be yeah. in the barcade. Right. Well, we can talk about barcade. Arcade bar, I guess we can Ar- say. Arcade bar. The barcade. But that, that was a, definitely a movement that like was starting to take off in the mid, I don't know, we'd call it the 2010s. Yeah, and that was it. It was right in the middle of that. We, knew, we had a friend that, that was doing it. Again, I was talking to both my brothers. We talk a lot. But one brother was still living in Denver. One was living near here. And... Some good friends of mine that I love and adore, they were at the same time opening Boxcar here in Raleigh. So we opened at the same time. Um, I felt like we had a really good re- reputation. Was here. Boxcar similar concepts? Very similar. Yeah. And, and it is an incredible arcade bar. Yeah. They've got probably, I want to say, I could misquote, but they've got 8,500 square feet. They've got this open, cool warehouse space that they had a nightclub in before. They've got three of them now in the state, and they do really well. But but for me, it was like, cool, we're going to do the arcade thing i've got this building we'll we'll put it up here or work with the bar where it is already and we'll move it later and i did try to do a little layup action you know and we and we had a really good reputation we had great food it was awesome burger programs badass burgers i miss them and we had really good you know cabinets we had the right cabinets we had the authentic the vintage cabinets and the and the and the hits right and you know some of the other guys were were, were having a hard time getting their hands on the cabinets at the time so some folks were doing emulators where the cabinets talk about the actual games yeah the, the game cabinets right yeah. and um, well i was curious about that because i know that, that especially when things started to like take off it was it wasn't easy to like procure well because everybody was looking for them. right especially it was I think the, you got ahead of it it was a wild goose chase man it was kind of fun yeah right? 2014 was early for that though like it was it was happening but like by the time 2016 17 rolled around i feel like there were barcades all it was it was happening a lot of big cities and the ancillary cities weren't it wasn't hidden yet yeah and so it's funny that we ended up opening at the same time and you know, there's some talk about whether or not, you know, my brother had been working for them before. And I was like, were well, you guys talking about this? You should have just told me I would have done something different. Right. Up here. And look, I, I loved it. I thought it was a cool concept, but I had other things I had to do. I moved into this building. There's three kitchens in this building. There's technically like four spaces. So there's a space we're in. There was a sandwich shop downstairs, which I ended up doing Linus and Peppers in later on. I did a gourmet sandwich shop down there. Virgil's which was being, you know, we were working on what we were going to do there at the time where we we're going to do like a, maybe a ramen bar or do a taco shop, you know? And then there's a basement in this building. It's like 3000 square feet too. So there's a lot of moving parts in this building. And is the basement being used right now? It's a prep kitchen down there. There's a couple of walk-ins. Okay. There's an idea to put some more fun, cool stuff oh, down cool. in the basement. You know, um, it's a big building. We're a 9,000 square foot building here and it doesn't feel that big. It's very chopped up, but so I put put level in level up in here, and you know, out of the gate, I just, I, I, if I'm being fair, I don't know that I connected with canned beers and and cheap bourbon shots and and fixing arcade games. Yeah, it, it, it seems like it, it seemed like an easy win, like a low hanging fruit situation that could be a great concept, but it it wasn't necessarily something that you were passionate. I think about. those concepts are incredible if you can focus on that concept because there's a lot of moving parts. Right. You got to be passionate about, the, well, like, you got to have some kind of, I think people who like love that era, like who are like stuck in like the, the 80s, 80s era. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that, the nostalgia and they're all about like that period and celebrating that period. And they, you know, they have like some sentimental, like 
connection with an arcade when they're growing up. Like they get they they it's like they're like they get so geeked out over it. Right? I, th- I think that concept is great, and I think if you're going to do it, you go big and you focus on that. And right. b- because um, some of the folks that I've seen do it, they they end up with their own in-house repair team. They're they're sourcing their games to repair and bring back to life. So that was you know? my next question: What are the moving parts that people don't consider maintenance on oh, the machines? Dude, like quarters get stuck in the coin max, yeah. you know, or do you use tokens? Do you use quarters? That's a whole conundrum. Um, you know, parts break, uh, joysticks break. People are upset. You put a sign on it one day, and then you try to get it fixed the next day. Like that is, that is a thing, right? Yeah. And then. What I didn't think about is I'm here on a second floor. That's a that's a chopped up floor. It is a perfect space for what we have here now, but the, the room is kind of uh, long and um, and and skinny. And if you put a few arcade games up here, suddenly don't have any room for people. Yeah, yeah. you know. And so close the room down really quickly. And there, the bar was where this chandelier is over here now. And that was a terrible place. You walk right up the stairs. You ran into the bar. It was already here. And I'm a bar guy. I know. And put the small rooms. You put the bar against the wall and you get it nice and tight right. and you sling drinks out of it, you know? And so the other thing was, is those cabinets weigh about four to 600 pounds. So trading them out, which is a big part of that concept was, uh, not super easy to go up and down the stairs, yeah. you know? So I think that, that as much as there were a lot of people that love the concept and, and there was the first one I ever closed down. Um, and I'm not going to say I was unhappy about it when I did. What, what, I, what I, I think that I was going to originally put into this space was something very similar to what we're sitting in now. Maybe not as – like more of like a Chesterfield couches and bookshelves and kind of hang out bourbon bar. And, and Yeah, loungy, yeah. Just, just good bar. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And, there, you know, the moving parts, yes, the, the coin max, the uh, screens, uh, they, there's an art to re- rebuilding those tube screens. And there are very few people that know how to do it. Right. They're making good money right now. Yeah, <laughs> man. There's a and, lot of work out there. And there's a lot, a lot more of them are picking that up. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, like lost art that people are starting to nerd out on again, you know. Right. So, so there was that. And then like staying really evolving on the 80s culture. So we had some awesome, you know, movie. Uh, I had a bunch of thumb drives that I put in the TVs. And we yes. had just a great movie selection. I'm sure it was fun. How long did it last? Well, so I opened February 2015. I closed September 2019. I mean, that's still a pretty good run. Four that was years. a good run. When do you know it's time to, to fold? When do you know it's time to... I was ready to turn that one over pretty quick. Yeah. It and was just you weren't passionate about the... the it wasn't that I wasn't passionate about it. I think that to, to, to give credit to those, those other guys, they had a great space for it. They focused on it. They did an incredible job. So even, is it, it, I hate to be blunt, but did you, did you feel like you just got beat at that game? Yeah, I think that we didn't have. I, I I don't think that it's a bad concept at all. I think that we. I think that I I did not feel passionate about that concept in this space, got if it. that makes sense. Yeah. And was it profitable? Uh, profitable on its square footage. I mean, it paid its bills, you know. But it wasn't um, like a thing where you were hemorrhaging money. And you you had to close. No, it was. You know, I mean, I mean, it just. It, it just didn't make sense, right? Like I was looking to do this three months after I opened that, right? And this makes sense for this space. This space is is I love the space. Yeah, man. and I, I mean, if right before we open, I'm sitting right where we are now, sitting on this uh, bank out here, looking out. I was like, man, I think I really, really like this bar. I, I think it's good, right? And it's you never good vibes, know, man. I was like, is somebody is everybody else going to like this or not? I I don't know. And uh, it's been well received. So, so for that one, I I, I think when you when you know you got to close uh, or change something over, 
I just experienced so much success with the first one, like out of the gate. I mean, it just kept getting better and better and better and better. The architect did and busier and the green light required a little bit more blood, sweat and tears, but, but that thing was humming along. And, and this one, you know, it's like I open it and then I kept trying to evolve it. And it just, I just was not passionate about that concept Never in this clicks. space. Yeah. I still have 35 arcade games sitting in you my... You do? Yeah. I was curious about those. You didn't sell those? Oh, man. I still got them. They're for sale if you'd like to buy them all. I bet it's a fun, one, a fun one price, price to hang out. Yeah. Parties at your house are probably a good time. I got like 15 or 20 in my garage, and then I got another... F- I know somebody who might be interested. Oh, oh man. Send them my way. They're, um, they got the bar... I can't say barcade, but they have a barcade out, up in... Um, Oh, North Dakota. Oh, cool. um, yeah, he might be interested. Maybe I can help you. Um, so... You also during this the 2014 to 2000 or 15 to 19 period four year run you opened Little City. Yes, yeah, so so the run was Architect 2012, Greenlight 2013, uh, Level Up 2015, uh, Linus and Peppers uh, later. Was 20, that downstairs? Yeah, downstairs. If you're looking at the front of this building on the ground floor, there's there's two spaces there. Linus and Peppers is on, was on the left, and Virgil started on the right. They were both launch concepts. There was this cool kind of city following. There was a lot of office down here at that time, pre-COVID. You'd get this, like, battle. Everybody would come from office. And, and there were the, the Virgil's purists, and there were the Linus Pepper's purists. They were saying, and, and then sometimes they would flip, and then uh, Level Up wasn't open during the day. So this whole building would be crawling with a good lunch crowd. And then at night, Level Up would open. We did a burger program out of here that was awesome. And, um, and then uh, – we did the authentic uh, tacos downstairs, and so Virgil's would kind of take over Linus and Peppers. We'd pull, we'd kind of close off the sandwich line with a with a kind of you know nice looking curtain, and then that would be like dinner service down yeah, there. And then so. 2016, um, Little City Brewery, yep, Little City, and then uh, you converted what was Level Up. So Virgil's took over the sandwich concept after COVID. Yeah, so I closed, I, you know, I closed the sandwich concept and. Close level up to turn it into the merchant right before COVID. We were in the middle of doing construction here during like right, right when COVID hit and uh, getting close to opening. And then, uh, and then I closed Linus and Peppers coming out of COVID. Um, I will say that we got evicted from this building in um, in uh, May of COVID 2020. It was, I mean, that was a weird time. Yeah. Got evicted. (laughs) But you got back in. Yeah. I got back in. I actually did, worked out. Did you move all of your stuff out and have to move it all back in? Everything that we could get. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to get it out than it is to come and hang it all back up. Oh, uh, you know, you cut, you take what you need to try and get the business rolling if you had to go down the street. But, yeah, man, I mean, we got got evicted from the building. I'm, I'm assuming that was some type of pandemic-related, like, just couldn't pay the bills. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, just a, a communication issue from two different um perspectives on on us and what we were trying to do to to survive and make it work and the landlord and what he you know he wanted or expected for that at the same time like as a landlord like what are you going to do in the middle of a pandemic kick somebody out and find a new tenant i tell you it happened a lot like what (laughs) are you thinking like you some like you're going to kick them out and something else is going to be successful yeah like like what like I don't know, it was a hard time for everybody. It's really it. interesting, man. That the, the real estate game went higher on the back end of COVID. You know, the, the rents went up for everybody. Right. I think you know. So it, it's it's crazy to say you didn't know then. You're like, all right, cool. You kicked me out, and then who's going to come along? And then you kind of see people have come along. But you know, we were able to come to an agreement, and it actually in the long run worked out much better for 
for my group and for me to, to do that. It was not the ideal thing. Don't get me wrong, but it actually ended up working our, uh, out. Okay. I had a lot going on right then. I COVID hit. Um, I found out my dad had cancer and then we got evicted from this building. And then I found out I had a baby on the way, like just a couple weeks later, this is like March to June, you know, hook uppercut. (laughs) And you know, it was funny because COVID hit and, and, and I've got a story too, like right after I opened little city, the neighborhood burnt down right around it. It just opened. And I think if, if I were going to tell you, we're just going on the timeline of all the things that, that happened, little city opened, And then that fire happened. That was my, that was my dominoes, my biggest challenge, my biggest hurdle. What was um, tough about it? My my COVID was pre COVID, right? And um, your COVID was pre COVID. Pre COVID, so so like the, uh, your worst time was before COVID. Happened. Yeah, and I've opened up a lot about that then, and it was hard to tell that message at the time because I don't think there were a lot of people that related to it. And I'm a little bit overly transparent at times, I would say, but. Um, I like talking about the shit because I like talking about coming out of the shit, yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, going, you know, open the architect, you know, green line. I signed the lease for Little City in 2013. I actually just ran ran, ran into the developer on the street. He's an incredible guy. Uh, his, his name's Greg Sandroder, and he's super nice, very well spoken, very successful guy. But um, I enjoyed working with him. I signed the lease in 2013, and. Um, then uh, this lease came available, and I, I signed the lease in the building we are, we're in now. So it was like that fear, like I said, that fear of, of being hot today will be cold tomorrow. And I, I think that was a big was a big mistake on my part because the architect was going really well. Um, I had money in the bank. The place was paid off right out of the gate, you know, and, and people loved it. And those that didn't, that's okay, you know, but – but but as a business owner, man, I had, I I was all excited. I'm like, I got this bar. It's busy. I'm not b- behind the bar. I jump back there every now and again. I know they don't want me back there, but it's just kind of fun for a minute, right. you know. And um, and so I, I I leapt on these opportunities, thinking I needed to diversify. Mm-hmm. Right? I need to do something a little different. I need to spread my chips out. Maybe restaurants are a little more uh, long term than a than a busy popular bar is. And um, so so I I signed the lease. Or little city is at 2013 and starting putting putting together a, a plan to build what was going to be a gourmet foods market and brewery and cocktail bar and breweries are a little harder to build than people quite understand. There's a lot that goes into that, a lot of moving parts. But then in the same time, I signed the lease here in 2014, and then I just ran through the things that we put in here. So, so I went from architect greenlight. So I had two concepts in one building. In 2000, you know, and, and then in a year and nine months, I went from two concepts, one building to let's call it six or seven concepts in three buildings. Right. That, that, so that's the market. That's a run, yeah. you know, and, and, and no matter if some of them are small or not, it, it's fun to come up with a new brand. It's fun to develop a new menu. It's fun to find a chef that can do that comes out of a James Beard kitchen and comes and wants to do sandwiches and tacos and like a really cool dope completely from the bottom up kind of way. But then all of a sudden, like you've got to run all these things and it's just as hard to run a 15, potentially harder to run a thousand to 1500 square foot spot as it is to run one 6,500 or 8,000 square foot spot. And so I did all these things and I was going and then I got little city open. I'm like, okay, cool. Now we can go back and clean up all the details. Open little city in September, 2016 brewed our first batch of beer in January, 2017 and the biggest fire in a hundred years in Raleigh happened 250 feet out of our front door wow. on March, 
2017. Probably how many? How much time was that between Bef- between our batch of beer yeah. and, and that was like 45 days. Jesus. So you know, so 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 we're spooling up. Like we're halfway to our sales goal, and then overnight, my revenue drops in half. So I'm I'm at like 25. percent Now the crazy part about that is is. <clears throat> The internal thing was I had run and stretched and done all these things and 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 they were all pretty well received. They were very popular and but you know, food cost is tricky, food labor is tricky, I'm trying to trying to work through all those things and figure all that out. And I'm a slave to the bar science. I'm a, I'm a slave to that engineering brain and the numbers. Well, I was thinking this is your first restaurant because you, were you doing food at the architect? No, no. And like I said, I had gotten away from. So it's a whole different beast. Yeah, I mean, you've worked in restaurants, but if you've never run a restaurant, let alone open a restaurant, and and you not had a lot of familiarity with how. Man, it is incredible to me. And it's not just a, a restaurant. It's a brewery and a restaurant. So there's yeah. so many moving parts there. Yeah, and then this restaurant here and and these restaurants. There were three here. I mean, I think chefs are incredible people, man. I, I think what they're able to accomplish and build and, and imagine and run and the culture of everything. It is a, you know, you see why some of them are, are, are hard-nosed, man. It, it is a really um you got to be passionate about yeah. it. It's a hard game, yeah. you know? And so I had to learn that along the way, but I did it all at once. Right. And then, okay, cool. Now everything's supposed to smooth out. Now we're going to go back and give it a year and figure it out. And then the fire happens. And it was re- what was really hard about that is now that I look back on it, it was exactly like COVID. It was just confined, confined to like a seven or eight block radius here in our town. None of us were talking to each other. The streets were closed down for six months. I got no physical damage whatsoever. But I was just thinking to myself, did you have fire insurance? Yeah, but but we didn't get it. You know, well, I was better. thinking the thought that you're probably wishing is like, why couldn't it have just burned to the ground? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Because then and, you would have been, been able to wipe your hands of the situation. And it's funny to look back on it because that's exactly what happened. So fast forward, it is now uh, the year 2023. Um, there were 98 of us that are in a lawsuit as plaintiffs um, for that fire um, and still hasn't settled. Um, pretty big, pretty big lawsuit. But the thing that really... Is the lawsuit against the city? Um, against all the, all the people involved in the project, not the city of Raleigh, but, you know, every security company, you know, the, the fire protection, the contractor, the... So there was a project going on that was the source of the fire. Yeah, so it was a, it was a four-story apartment building. Um, they'll allow you to do stick-built wood apartment here in Raleigh up to four um four stories and something caught and I was standing outside Little City Brewing. It was a Thursday night. Um saw the flames and the top of and there were no fire trucks there. There were and you know, I I don't know if that was the first one to saw it saw it, but you see this small fire starting at the top of this apartment building and you know, you look at it and you go, man, that's going to be one hell of a bonfire, right? Because you've got all the wood, right. you've got all the air, you got fuel. And it was a windy day. It was a, a, a windy day. And I mean, it went up. It was a, probably about a 20 to 25 story fire. I've got a great video. I mean, there, there are fire trucks that look like toys and there is a crane coming down that you're like, holy cow, that's a, that's a giant crane coming down. Luckily, no one was, I don't think anyone died. I think there were a couple injuries. One person had a heart attack, and then I think a firefighter caught a, a piece of glass in their shoulder or something like that. And, I mean, it was, it was a big deal. It was five-alarm fire. Um, went up really quick, burnt the neighborhood down. Number of, uh, a couple of other apartment buildings were, were damaged. A condo building was damaged. And then the long-term damage was um, uh, 
come to find out now, looking back, there were other businesses outside of myself that suffered substantial losses. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, when your community takes a hit, your business takes a hit. Like those were all those people's, their homes, those were your customers. Yeah. And, so and you're in, going into that situation and expecting that to be like your regulars, right? And in this business, I think, I think it's hard for people to grasp that, you know, especially when you get some moving parts, like some kitchen or some brewing labor or, or those sort of things, you can be really busy and still running it right and, and, and lose a substantial amount of money or be really busy. And to make some money, you have to keep that revenue up. Right. And so say a business around the block unnamed, but you know, say they were doing $2.3 million a year. Right. And that was probably, you know, now you're, you're paying off a million dollar build out or whatever it took to get open. And so you need that, that income. Hopefully maybe you're somewhere in a 15 to 20% profit margin. If you're doing it perfect, you might be hitting that. And, uh, suddenly that 2.3 drops to, you know, you get a 30% hit on that established business and you're down 600 grand right. there, you know, plus, and then for me, similar fashion, we just, we were halfway there and we hit, took a 50% hit and operated at like a 25% revenue. Well, and it was embarrassing, man. Yeah. You know, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's tough because you only want to talk to people that you trust. And then the, then, it, you know, I'm talking to my manager. He's like, man, it's just, I'm, I'm like, why are, why are we not busy? What are we not doing? And he's like, well, the, the streets. And I was like, man, I just feel like that's an excuse. Like we're down a street. If we make a good enough brand, people will just come regardless. And, you know, maybe if I'd have done a green light there with a, secret door maybe we would have I, I don't know but but for what we had we needed we needed um that that street corner that we're on there was a lot of construction slated to go in behind us and it all stopped and it, it just stopped abruptly overnight and i didn't realize you know it was hard to tell that story because you felt like when you told that story people were just looking at you like okay man great excuse that was a terrible excuse but it, but it wasn't like oh whoa it's me it's like just acknowledging what was going on right and I acknowledged it. This is 2017, March 16th, 2017, COVID, March 17th, 2020, March, March, March 16th, 2017, COVID, March 17th, 2020. Little city's still around. Yeah, it's still there. Um, So things turned around. Well, great. And I was stuck with it. So how'd you turn it around? Stuck with it. I mean, just every day, you know, and, and just showing up and, and. I was so far deep into it and there was so much chatter after about six or eight or 10 months that potentially there, there could be some recovery there. Um, and I would see some blips of like, okay, we're working really hard, start getting the revenue up. Let's focus on the beer. Let's focus on the quality. Let's focus on the cocktail program and, and let's just focus on that and, and try to keep moving. So, you know, turning it around came with a lot of just dark, heavy, grimy grinding pushing four days on on in the midst of trying to keep all this you know but but it just stretched me I, if i'm being honest it stretched me so thin uh just across the I board imagine, dude. That's yeah it's a it huge just, project and it was so I, I mean just when that happened that's the lead domino it took me out of the you know away from the building that we're doing now which which that kind of stretched and caused more stress and then luckily the architect and greenlight were very established so they just kind of kept humming along that yeah. was great so, you know, here we are in our little Raleigh world, my small town Raleigh world, we're within five blocks of each other. And, and that's just, that's just what it was. Now, looking back on it, the day that COVID hit and the world shut down and I was talking to my friends who were 
killing it at the time. And I'm sitting down, and they pull up their bank accounts, and they're like, look, look at these. They're all in the red. It's like, man, those look like my bank accounts. This is great. <laughs> I'm not alone anymore. Because <laughs> you know? it was a lonely road, man. Yeah. And um, it just – if I go back on it, too, it was it was, it was self-perpetuated as well. I, I did a lot of things in a short amount of time, big or small. And, and that was – were, it was a lot of balls in the air, and I, I didn't give them all of the, the. It was the, an audacious goal. You know, like, not that you couldn't handle it, but that's a big project for somebody who's. You're doing so much new. You had no experience in any of those verticals. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like, I, I was like, oh, it I was can ambitious. Do this. I can do that, good yeah. on you for like you know having the confidence to roll the dice and to take a risk, and like that says a lot about probably some of your strengths is that you're willing to take a risk. But like the fact that, I mean, that would be hard for anybody. Yeah, it's uh, it, and and learning all that stuff on the fly, right? Like, oh, we can figure this out. And so now we're brewing beer. We're doing multiple food concepts. I'm doing nightlife, doing cocktails, and trying to do catering too because I've got a catering arm at that point. So, so really looking back on it, I just thought, well, well, this is normal because I opened these concepts. Looking back on it, I was like, man, I am not focused. I'm not focusing on what I do well or at least one thing that I can do really well or two things that I could do really well even if I'm learning it along the way I'm passionate about all of it I'm in love with everything we're doing I love the brands I love the quality but at the end of the day the most important thing is the people right it's the people you have working with you and the people that you're able to put in the seats in your building well that's one thing I I was curious about because um you were pretty transparent on like you're you're a a bartender, but not a craft cocktail bartender, not a chef. You're not a restaurateur. Uh, you're not a, a brew like you, you weren't a brewer. Yeah, you, you know, like so. What that tells me is that you needed you you had to rely on relationships and partnerships to to, to make this happen. So, I mean, do, are you the sole proprietor in these concepts, or do you have? Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm the sole operating owner. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a by far a majority in all my businesses and I've had um, been lucky uh, with some folks that have been willing to invest at times um, I still to date am the largest investor in all of my whole company just based on what I had to do um, to keep everything moving forward and I never pulled out and put aside what you know you should hold on to it kind of kept everything going now look COVID was the best thing that happened to me I, I, I can honestly say that Why? because I got to stop and I got to breathe that's all I need I had you, you're wanted able to come up for air yeah because it's 2017 to 2020 it was a pinch and I didn't sign any more leases I didn't open any other new concepts other than flipping this one over you know, everything was the same as it had been, and I wasn't going to until I had it had it fixed. And then COVID hit. I mean, we I'd work sixty five hours a week, but I'd go home at nine o'clock and I'd take Sundays off. I hadn't done that. You know, it was yeah. quietest I'd been in, in in years, and it was super beneficial. It was right. quiet, and it was I enjoyed it. I think there were there was a polarized. Um, you know, kind of people's experience was different for me. I'm like, I love this, man. This is quiet. I'm, I learned how to fix a carburetor on my uh, lawnmower. Um, you know, there's just all these little things that went on. But, but, but I also got to go back and work through all the crap that I just didn't have time to work on. You know, really tighten like up what? my books. Um, uh, you know, get my accounting. I had gone through some, a couple of different CPAs and never really found a good bookkeeper. And 
brought that in house and trained somebody how to do that really well. And I, I understood it and I knew where it had to go, but it was, it was a big thing for me to take that time and spend the time on making what we had better working on the business. Yeah. yeah. And we were, we were here, man. Kudos to the people that were with me. I, you know, until the unemployment kicked in, I said, some way or another, we'll survive this guys. And, you know, some people took off to the beach for the summer when the unemployment kicked in and good for them. I like, think the industry needed it. I think it, it, the, 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 the jolting stop for the industry was in hindsight, a good thing. A lot of things started to change after that. I mean, there there are more places that are closed on Mondays, on Mondays, and Tuesdays, and, yeah, or exactly. Sundays. Yeah, we're just closed at like a reasonable hour because they were forced to because they didn't have the labor to work. There. I don't do lunch anymore. Right. I don't know that I ever want to do lunch again. Right. You know, and I'm okay with that. And I'm closed on Mondays in every one of my locations. It's know? like we were forced to stop, and when we came back, we came back balanced. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. Know your lane, stay in it, right? You know, we're getting away from it really quickly, unfortunately, and, and it's probably, it's kind of the demand of the beast. Away from it. I just feel getting like we, our old habits. yeah, it's just it's it's almost like you start looking at it, and you start looking at the inflation is is incredibly hard to 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 keep up with on food costs and stuff like that, and you know, and you start looking at you know people need more money to live, but and so you got to pay them more money to work right. and. So you start figuring out, do I need to stretch an hour here? Or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm closed. I'm, I'm a five-day-a-week business, but what if I was just a six-day-a-week business? And, and I see that thought process internally with, with my team when we talk about it, but also I think I see it happening elsewhere. I think the churn and burn just naturally starts gobbling you up again. And, and I think a lot of that, I think, I think as human beings, we have short memories sometimes. I mean, I'll look back at COVID and I'll be like, man, that was one of the most uh, – uh, calm, quiet, <laughs> yeah. beneficial times of my life. You yeah, know, it really was. Sure. So, so what are your strengths as an owner? Like, what do you do? What's your lane today? Um, you know, I, I guess as an entrepreneur, I mean, it's just, I, I heard Gary, Gary was here earlier, right? We're on this podcast to Palooza. We're on this podcast marathon here in the, and the merchant the last couple of days. I know we've been here. I, I think a, a total of, I've been in six interviews. I've recorded five, but I was interviewed for um, Will Browley's podcast yeah. as well. So we, we so, turn the tables on each other. So I got to hear a couple of people talking as well, but I, I mean, it, it's you joke and it's not a put down. It's like, man, I'm just too hard headed and dumb to give up. Right. And, you know, I got to value that, that quality, the grit. Um, there are a lot of people just in general and a lot of businesses that, th- that, that, that throw the talent and it's probably for the best at times, you know, it's probably, it's, it's good to be able to walk away from something. Um, I will say that, uh, that I think that, that is something that I, I know that I have because I've watched it. I'm just kind of, you know, keep getting after it every day. But, you know, I get I coming out of this COVID thing, I've, I've really, really enjoyed. This is crazy. This is a gift and a curse. I've enjoyed working with, like, the employees in the business. Like, I love my management team, but I, I love staying at the host stand these days and you know, just finding little tricks and, and stuff to get people. What do you mean, tricks? You know, I, I had the saying coming out of COVID, it was 2021, and, and everybody, you know, the workforce was tough. The employee for, force was tough. Everybody was having a hard time readjusting to life, right? And that's fair to say, but for us that were reopening, like, it was it was stressful. It was hard. It was a mad dash to get all your businesses reopened. So I came up with a saying. I was like, oh, I got to trick them into doing the right thing, right? And that was, like, the fun thing for me. And and, and the tricking, tricking people into doing the right thing is, like, it's it's a win-win for everybody. Like, I'm not brainwashing these people. I'm like, hey, listen, you know, we're all on, we're all on display here. You know, you got to remember when, when you're the host, you're the first person that um, someone sees when they walk in the door. And, and in fact, you're potentially the most important position in this building. I know? mean, that there's, I think there 
there's some truth to that statement. It's not necessarily a trick. No, it's not a trick at all. There is the truth. The, yeah. the, the, the trick into the right, it's the right thing. So the trick is, is how do you present it in a way that, that, that you, they actually believe you. Yeah, it's fixed, <laughs> yeah, you know, because it's really easy to be like, "Yo, you're so full of shit." You know? yeah, you're just telling me that, so I I feel important. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, I mean, we're in a business where a lot of people don't pick this as a career. So you got, you know, I, I felt really fortunate that you've got some 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 kids, so to speak, that are you know out of school or this is how they make their extra money, like I did, and so it's not a trick. But that was my saying, right? Like that was my that was my mantra for then, and I, I thought it was pretty good because it was like. You know, every uh, managers, owners, everybody's frustrated because it was really hard to get through to, to staff at that time. I think I, I think it was challenging for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but you know that was that was like okay, what can I do? Every time I walked in, I was like, okay, cool. How these we opened so fast? They didn't. A lot of these people didn't get trained. They don't know what the seat numbers are. You know, right. got to have seat numbers. You got to start with the basics. So what am I going to do today? What's my game to come in and get the whole staff to learn seat numbers by the end of the week? You know, and I was. I had to fall down and said, I was a manager in this building after we opened. I didn't really lose a lot of people over the last couple of years in management. I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of folks, some um, have some extenuating circumstances. Um, my, my operator here who's incredible. I love him to death. I miss him every day, but we, we still collaborate and work together. Um, his, his, uh, mother-in-law got breast cancer. And so he took off to Florida to, to, with his wife to go help his father-in-law run his business and do that. And so I, I stepped in as a GM here and, you know, so I'd, I'd show up every day. I'm like, wow, man, we're missing this. Okay. By the end of this week, I'm going to work on this one thing. And so that, that was what I meant by, by that trick I'm into doing the right thing. Because once we did that, they were more comfortable, more proud of what they were doing. I was more proud of that. The guests were getting yeah. that, you know, they, they were the, the business and the guests were ultimately getting the, the result of that. And, um, and so it was a positive thing all the way around. So, we're at the point of the conversation where we're kind of at like present time on the sure. timeline, right? Um, what are what have been the biggest transformative, transformative evolution? Like the things that you've transformed the most in as an owner, the things that you're doing now that you're doing way better than you were before. You, you pointed out managing the books. Sure. I mean, can you give specifics on that? Um, I, I think even through COVID and through some really really hard times, what I kept focusing on was okay we got to get the basics right. And I keep going. I, I think more than anything, I keep going back to that more than I ever did before. Let's start with the basics. I mean, it's impossible to build a spaceship to the moon without a launch pad, you know? And, and just, I, I think that I'm getting back to that. I think that I've learned more patience. I've, I've had this really weird, am I overly, am I not enough? You know? And like I said, I was super reactive in the beginning. I became much more patient after I just got my, head kicked in you know and 17 to, to 19 20 and then I'm, I'm starting to find that that in between which is good it's like being patient but also being accountable um you know we draw a line in the sand but, but, but can we be positive and infectious to our um to our team and 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 the, and the employees you know like yeah. I, I know everybody's name in my in my company i've got 70 to 100 employees ish somewhere in that range I, I literally know everyone's name that works for me, even if they come and go, you know, for the most part. There might be three or four that were hired in the last couple of weeks. I haven't gotten it down yet, but I want to make sure that that I do that and I know that. And oftentimes they don't know I'm the owner for a while, you know. Right. Like, who's that well, guy? What are the basics? When you say focusing on the basics, the foundation. When you mentioned the books, um, let's see, the training manuals. 
seems like every time sort of we go through a transition, I come back in the building. I'm like, where are the training manuals? And they're like, what training manuals? Like, what do you mean? What training manuals? <laughs> how, how are you doing your job? So two days ago, I walked into the building. There were no training manuals, but by, t- by today we've got them completely, you know, we've got some beautiful training uh, stuff. So, so the basics are that do you, do you have pages and do you have a syllabus that you can walk through and you can, you can see our style of what we do things without just like being shown or told through a follower or whatever. That's, that's important. Um, I think if you have that that stuff that oftentimes in, in smaller operations, we do those. We do the checklist, but that like, um, you know, the military style of things or the corporate style of things, like there's a lot of value to that. So getting back to that and when I walk in, I've got the, I've got the three or four things that I check off. How's, how's our inventory control right now? How's our scheduling? To me, scheduling is the A number one most important thing yeah. because scheduling to me is the human resources piece to that. You cannot have enough people scheduled or on the schedule in the right places if you don't have enough people, right? right? And then you can't pour your effort into training those people and and delivering your message, which ultimately the business fails with that. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of us that can hold on by a thread and make it all work, but to me, the way my brain works, the analytical math side of it, scheduling to me is the a number one most important thing. Get enough people on the schedule. Get them in the right places. Yeah. And anyway. for circumstances like that's why I love Schedule Fly so much because I agree with that statement. Not everybody can, you know, shoot for uh, like Restaurant Systems Pro, for example, might be out of reach for everybody. They might not have the budget for it, but you need those systems eventually. But if you can't reach for like the enterprise solution on day one, the you know the Restaurant Systems Pro, the Restaurant Three Sixty Five, then well, what's the most important thing that I have? And I pieced together a lot of that over the years. Yeah. So when I talked to those guys on their sales pitch, like there were a few years ago, you know, a few years back when it was like, why do we do a journal entry at the end of the month for our sales data? Why do, why do we do that? Why do, why do we have to wait all the way till two weeks or a month down the road to, you know, balance our deposits and our sales data out to look at a P&L that's two to four weeks old when we're operating in a business where daily things are fluctuating, right? right? So a few years ago, I found a third-party company called Dataront, and at the time we had Micros and Aloha, and they made a connection straight to QuickBooks. And so in theory, what I was working towards, this utopian thing, was where we could almost run a daily P&L. Almost, right? Yeah. Uh, you got to wait for some expenses to clear, but, but when it came through the next day and the deposit came through, you matched it, and, and boom, there were your sales. Um, when we moved over to Toast, which I absolutely love and adore, um, they, they've got a lot of good technology resources that they <clears throat> work with, and one of them is a, is, a, is a program called Cohesion that does that for us. And so when I would talk to the restaurant 365s and people of the world, the RSIs, and they would call and they're like, well, we have this solution. I said, well, I have this, and then I have Schedulefly, and then we, we have a couple other things that I think I was doing that, that they were like, well, you've kind of got it all covered. But you've got it in, in, in different solutions. And I was like, yeah, and I'm just getting it right. So I don't want to really change that up right now, right? So, th- so that stuff to me, even in the, de- the, the darkest of times, I continue to be um, just committed to that. Because eventually, like as you come out of the dark times and, and you know, fall back now and I'm looking at what our next opportunities and stuff are down the road, I hope that I've developed some kind of system that's our system that works for me that I can translate into the next things that we do or help someone else, you know, which, which I get a lot of, I get a lot of uh, excitement out of, you know, passing this on to, Hey, listen, you get to benefit from, from my pain. Right. You, you might be able to avoid some of this pain. I'll tell you what I did wrong. Right. 
hey, can you give me some advice? I was like, well, I can give you some experience, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I'll tell you what happened. Right. You know? I think we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to come back, and we're going to start to wrap things up, talk about where you're headed, um, make sure we didn't miss anything, uh, and really enjoying the conversation. Maybe yeah, thank we'll you. Be right Great to be here. Yeah. Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. CORE is an industry-focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money and CORE has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through in-store promotions, CORE provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or more for CORE during this campaign receive logo recognition on the Wall of Hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate and you will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the Serving Up Hope campaign today. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And yes, there is music playing now. Uh, it started when we, we wrapped up the last session, but not the last session, the last segment. Um, but I, I was curious, like somebody who's big into nightlife and music and 
Like, w- what's your your tech stack when it co- in terms of music? Well, um, yeah, it's light, the 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 lights, camera, action, man. The uh, the music's coming on. It's five o'clock. Yeah, it's we're right, open, we're ready, we're open, man. Yeah. And we're here, and and we get to see the place come alive around us. So, um, you know, I the 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 atmosphere thing. I, I wrote down on one of your questions here as I was researching. What is what is something you do? And I asked Cynthia, one of my managers here. I said, what, what is it? I said. Tell me a good one because I know you plenty got plenty of weird things that you think I do. But she goes, well, you always walk through and you say, turn, turn the lights down, turn the music up. And there's been one or two times that I felt like the music was too loud. Right. But, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I ain't touching it. They're like, you know, cause I don't want to throw it off track. Right. Like turn the lights down, turn the music up. And, and, and as the sun goes down, the lights come down and, you know, I do a lot. They do that a lot in Miami and New York and Mexico has got some really cool shit going on now. But it just kind of, it's like the, then the space hugs you, right? Like the, it's darker, but the music is good. So, so with, when it comes to sound, man, I, I, I feel like you always got to have some good bottom end, some low end, some sub, you know, in there because you, you want it to feel full, you know. And so I've got all kinds of different sound systems all around. Um, <clears throat> we do on our digital processor, we use Ashley, which uh, you can control from the iPad. That'll control all your, all your sound and your volume. That works with Sonos. Yeah, and then you so it's a it's a digital processor, so you got your inputs and your outputs, and then you use Sonos as to control your your music. You know that you can you can control Spotify or Pandora, and then you use that as an input into your your processor, and then it sends all that out to your speakers, right? And then so you got your different zones, and and you can control the volume. Now I can control Sonos and my volume from an iPad, and consequently, like our reservation software talk is right there too. So we got it all. Ready to rock, right, right there. Nice. So, and you're using and, talk. Why talk? Podcast. I heard yeah. with those guys. Um, you, listen, you cheating on me? There's another podcast you're listening. There's only one. I only heard other <laughs> one. Only one other than Schedule Fly. Um, and a friend sent it to me, so I didn't even. Uh, no, they're I, great. Organized. I've had the, the uh, founder of uh, Talk um, on the show, uh, Nick Kakanis. It might have been your podcast, but this was two or three years ago. Someone, someone sent it to me. I don't know how long ago you had them on, but they were talking about talk at the time. Obviously, Alinea and all the other stuff they had going on. So, so I love the idea of we, we take deposits for the seats up here. We take a $10 deposit, and that was a big leap of faith for us. Um, and uh, because are people not going to come because you're taking a deposit? So talk links with toast. We take a $10 per seat deposit. And our cancellations and no shows go way down, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you move you move the the person comes in, you check the reservation, and it starts a tab on on toast, and then you got the deposit there, and it goes against their bill. Yeah, and that's the kind of shit I'm talking about when I say like challenging the status quo. You know, like why are we doing things the same way we did things a hundred years ago when there's technological solutions that can help us be more profitable and do things just systematically different more yeah. efficiently yeah and then we get in the and then we get in the technology loop too though right like they, they, it becomes a thing like okay what's the next one and the next one and they, I, at least i've found myself there where it's like there yeah again it's like perfecting what are the two or three that really you need to be right before yeah. you move on to the fourth and the have fifth have you heard of line leap yet no dude yeah this is one that got on my radar with the folks over at um hampton social this is a, another perfect example of something that we've always... There's always been lines outside of my like clubs. Sure. Right? But what if you don't want to wait in that line? What if you're willing to pay a premium to skip the line? Sure. Why not... Line leap. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Like, Great name. Pay $30 to go skip the line. 
You know, like that's $30 of revenue per person that chooses to do that. And if you give people the option, you know, if they're with the VIPs and they're trying to show people a good night, like I'm going to pay the $30 to get my, me and my friends in, Sure, you know, and you get, I'm sure you get like 10 to 20 people on night that are willing to pay that premium to, to skip the line. Sure. That's $300 easy additional revenue. Per day that used to go in the front door guy's pocket. Well, I mean, but I, th- I think there's something to say that I mean, I'm well, not saying yeah. like in a good way. I'm just exactly saying. like, well, that was the other way you got in, right? Is you, yeah. you, you'd offer, you'd have the audacity to offer the front door guy some cash, but that's also a great way to like, I mean, it, sh- it should go to the house. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, it's all, that also at times was the only way you were getting in, especially right. if you're a couple of guys, right? You know, so right. Um, but like, just go ahead. No, I, I uh, just going back. I, one thing before I forget that the sound system at Little City is six on the on the high end is six forty four five six year old vintage Pioneer um, CS eighty eight A speakers right and I pulled the the screens off the front and you can see all it's great woodworks beautiful and I bought those and then I put them all up there all around the room which I love you know more speakers less volume you know. Then you turn the volume up and it's even all around the room. So I've got them all spread around in the corners of the building. And then I put one powered um, JBL sub, like an 18-inch sub in there. And it is such a such a good feeling. And if you notice and you look at the speakers, they're not aesthetic. They're they're the sound system there. And they, it's, it's awesome. I love it. That's cool, man. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, there's just a lot of cool stuff out there. There's tools like Talk is another one. It's just challenging the way we do things. And like what I love about Talk is that they, they give you the option to slide like you're a, a table and a seat on a Friday night. It's more valuable. It's in more demand, supply and demand. You should charge more for that experience yeah. on a, a premium night. I think that's just a, a no brainer way to increase your revenue. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't crossed that threshold yet, but it's a cool um, thing that they do. It is. And it's like, you know, I think they're going through their, their, they grew and now they're in that, that, that realm. And for, for us, you always want, you know, like schedule fly, they're they're steady Eddie, man. But even Toast growing and then they're changing and you're like, wait, but this is really good, you know, and so, you know, Aloha, great example. They felt they completely fell apart during COVID. Fell 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 through the dumpster. They were my favorite till then and I'll I'll probably never use them again, you know. So So John, is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point that you were kind of expecting or hoping to get out that oh, we haven't? Man, I mean we covered a lot. Um I could tell a Gary Crunkleton story. Yeah, you did mention there's that Gary Crunkleton story, and it's fresh because we literally just interviewed him. So yeah. this is episode uh, 1013. He's episode 1012. So that name's fresh in the mind of our So listeners. Gary's a force to be reckoned with, man. He's a character, and he is an incredible bar guy and a very knowledgeable guy. Um, we, I, I, I met him, really. I knew him, knew his name. I knew of his bar. I met him in 2010. Uh, in his bar, I was interviewing some folks. I was helping open a nightclub for these guys, and 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 my my mom knew Gary. My mom was a career firefighter in Chapel Hill, um, and that's where Gary's first bar was. And she, her last five years, she was the fire marshal, deputy fire marshal. And I knew a lot of bar guys over there. I didn't know Gary very well, but. I said, Mom, you can't tell people that like I work in a bar and you're the fire marshal. You're like the vampire of bars, you know? <laughs> but it's really incredible because a lot of those guys came to her retirement party. I had the architect and she had been so helpful as she is. Um, and so Gary Gary knew my mom a lot. She used to talk about Gary and, and whatever else. But I, I'd stumbled in his bar um, doing an interview and then I started talking. He's like, what are you doing? I'm just like, well, you know, I'm helping these guys get their bar open. He said, well, 
when are you going to open your own bar? I said, well, you know, money this, raise this money. He goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, we got money to open a business. He goes, not really. <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, well, man, he goes, look, he goes, you got to have some ice. He goes, you got to have, you know, something to put the ice in. You got to have some booze. He said, but you know, you didn't really need a POS system. He's like, you just use a fucking shoe box, you know? And I'm like, all right, this guy's crazy. You know, he said, <laughs> if you start making enough money, maybe you can buy a walk-in cooler, you know? And I was like, all right, man. Now, truth be told, a year and a half later, two years later, which seemed like a long time at that time, uh, I was opening my first bar. I opened the Architect. I ran out of money. I had a budget of $190,000. I think it cost me $193,000. I had no sound system. I had to borrow money to, to buy liquor. And I opened that first night, which was really groundbreaking at the time. I used an iPad, a couple of iPads and Square. And a shoebox to put money in. <laughs> now, fast forward, 2017, Dave Nitzel from Bar Metrics, you know, encouraged me to go to Annapolis where Sean Fenter um, hosts the Accelerate program that, that, that we all go to in a groups of 30 and 40 at a time where I've met some absolute, like, powerhouses in the industry and Gary being one of them, you know. Um, but I never saw him again until then. I sat at a table with him and I said, you know, I said, Gary, you you know, my mom, Mary, and goes, oh, yeah, you know, your mom's great. She always took care of us. And I said, that's great. And I said, you know, I got a story for you. You were very instrumental in me opening my first bar. And he goes, oh, I get the hell. And, and even just now you saw, I mentioned that story. The most humble person out there. Yeah, man. And so, you know, that was a great, that was, a, that, was, that was good, man. And he was impactful. And I did not remember him being as impactful as he was until I ran into him sitting at a table. We, we got put in a lunch group together, and it's me and him and a couple other guys who I'm, I'm still very close friends with. But, you know, and and then that thing, this thing that we're able to do in in Annapolis, um, Dave, he may have told his story, but he was not a bar guy. He was a a, corp, a corporate guy, Dave Nitzel. That's you know, he has a franchisee for Bar Metrics and just wrote you know two books on this industry and is in, in, infatuated with our industry now, right? So he said, John, you're you're in a little bit of a time. You need to come up. You need to meet Sean. You need to go to one of these these conferences up there. And and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm why do I want to go there? This guy is the guy that made the the company that counts my liquor bottles. Okay, what, what am I gonna benefit from there? And I got into this room, and and two days later, I realized that I'm in this room, these rooms, sharing with people on things that we don't. And, and I've got a something written down on your your. Uh, your list here that I was going to yeah, say about the, what the speed what, round, what we don't do, and one, one of the things we don't do is we don't share. We don't share with the person down the block. We're very internally beating ourselves up in this business. I don't think that we reach out enough. I don't think that I, I think sometimes it's a little clickish based on what you know. Are you food driven or are you nightclub driven or whatever? And I think it's you know it's hard for us to open up to each other. We're opening up in this room. And there were all there were all the people, all the people that have won best bar in the world, written the books, got the got the awards on their back bar, and they weren't the ones doing the presenting. We were all sitting in a room together, and there were only forty of us there, you know. And we were sharing the same struggles, man. Yes. And um, and to me, that was a big that was a big deal, and that was where um, you know I started forming some uh, some relationships. One of the guys I'm gonna I'm gonna drop on you that that hopefully you get to um, interview, who's a very quiet powerhouse in the industry. His name's Naren Young, and um, I just was on the phone with him a few minutes ago. A guy named Kostin that I'm I'm really close with now. He's out of Romania. The guys from New York at Death and Company and Dead Rabbit, and guys from Pouring with Heart out in California, and and just 
Neil Bodenheimer down in New Orleans. I've had Neil on the show. Great. I've had Ned Moses on the show. Yeah. Awesome dudes. Yeah. Um, you you said Niren? Did I get that right? Niren Young. Yeah. He was at Cafe Dante in, in New York. Incredible success story there. And then he, when 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 John LaMare passed away um, <clears throat> after opening Sweet Liberty, Niren ended up down there. And Niren just opened what, what I would say is his first concept in Miami. He opened a bar called Medium Cool. He is an incredibly talented and knowledgeable guy that you got to get to open up. And once he open, opens up, he's got some great stories, you know. And, awesome. he, and so that that's my shameless plug for who you need to get on here. And, nice. and uh, well, I, didn't, I didn't even have to ask the question. I love it. Yeah. Like, I'm developing habits, I, in my I guess. I studied a little bit. I got the cheat <laughs> yeah. sheet here. So. I do have that, that, that speed round. Honestly, I think on this trip, I'm thinking about just canning it because I don't know, man. I, I just feel like it's forced. And I'd rather just have those questions come out in an organic way that I, that I let you down. I don't know, man. There's one thing I filled out. Oh, it or not. I filled <laughs> put it all out. this thought into it. I mean, I'll throw I'll throw a couple highlights. Yeah, yeah, it's go just for like, it. Uh, you know, what, what's the it factor? Grit. I would say hard headed dumbness. I mean, that could be all. I'll translate <laughs> it one way. But your biggest weakness, and I, I, I felt like it was consistent focus and discipline. Maybe I'll keep this beat around. Keep you going. know, um, consistent focus and discipline. You know, and, and and that is that is a very successful thing trait to to possess and it's a hard one to keep working on um but you know i think that those were the two right at the front and then we had your person i already did that for you i got got ahead (laughs) of the curve on that one um uh turn the lights up turn the turn the music down that was the uncommon standard of service i like it uh to teach your staff um this is one that i i'm very passionate about right now the the trick them into doing the right thing has evolved into Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. And I would say right now, what I say over and over again is, is we do three things here. We take care of each other. We take care of the guests. And ultimately, that takes care of the business, right? And, you know, if we don't have people on our team right now that aren't that are taking care of each other, I mean, nothing's perfect. Nothing's utopian. Um, we tend to try and, and, and move uh, that seat, make make that seat of uh, available for the next person that wants to come in and do that. So that is, that is potentially a good, good, good good thing to finish up on. But that is, that is the new, that is the new one, man. That's the take care of each other, take care of the guests. And then ultimately that take care, takes care of the business. Awesome. Thank you for doing your homework. Sorry. I didn't ask you the questions. (laughs) I mean, you know, typically I wouldn't do my homework, but I did this one time. I love it. I want to give you credit. Um, So uh, I just want to reflect on the, the Gary Crunkle uh, story real quick, Crunkleton story real quick. Um, the lesson that I pull from that, and this is, it's, a, it's a, a lesson that we like to echo a lot in the show, is just start. You're yeah. never going to be ready. But f- find out where you can start and start there. Maybe that's a pop-up. No, that's, that's 1,000 million percent. I can back that statement yeah. all day long because I, I, I do say the difference between doing it and not doing it is simply doing it right, right. and the momentum just keeps going and I, i've got friends my some of my best friends in the world man they're still they're still bartending and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that yeah. but they've been talking about open places for 15 and, and, and 16 and 17 years and i have i have experienced there were days in 17 18 19 that i had no idea every single week that i how i would be in business the next day and um, um you know, and I, and I wasn't, and and that's going to be part of it. You're going to face struggle. You're going to face success. You know, so just got to do it sometimes. There's one other part that 
I want to reflect on that 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 uh, share you had about uh, Gary, how he influenced you, how 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 uh, Dave influenced you to go up to Annapolis for that. Uh, was it Annapolis? Or yeah, it's Annapolis. City? It's Annapolis. in Maryland, which Maryland? is a weird city, right? It right. is not the the hub of quality food and beverage. There's a lot of bars there. But you've got these powerhouses of the industry, and we're floating around in this <laughs> weird little tourist sea town, you know. So it's very interesting. But you mentioned something—the power of uh, just sharing information, coming together, and, and finding camaraderie in people who are going through the same struggles as you. And that's exactly why I started a Restaurant Stoppable Network. So I mean, I, I'm, this is a selfish plug, but like, if if what John was sharing in that moment resonates with you, this idea of w- wishing you had people to talk to, yeah. to to share your challenges, to get perspective. We're, we're, we're doing that in the network and that's what it's all around is trying to connect our listeners with, with our guests. Um, I'm going to give you access to the network. I'd love to have you join. Yeah. And it's all around just sharing information and um, n- not doing it alone. Sure. You know? So uh, selfish plug. I wanted to get that out. Um, how do we connect with you, my man? If we were inspired by today's story, if we want to maybe continue the conversation, ask you a question uh, or join your team because maybe we're a young professional looking to surround ourselves with the right people. Man, I'd love to talk to anybody that would love to come see what we do here. But but aside from that, my phone number, my email, I'm happy to give it out. My, my phone number it's is up to you. <laughs> 919-649-2154. And my email is J-O-N, John, at thelocalicon.com. And this is episode 1013. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com, such 1013. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools or services recommended on the show. A lot of those tools and services are affiliates. So I'm just wink, wink, nod, nod. Please use my links. You're supporting the show when you do. Thank you in advance. And we already got your called out guests too. So now I guess this is what we want to say something. Yeah. How are you taking care of yourself? Not very well, dude. If I'm being honest. Yeah, man. <laughs> when the, yeah, let's, let's hear about oh, that no. a little bit. Uh, you know. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. It's tough when you're constantly traveling um, to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself. Uh, you know, you're feeling some weird elements and you know that you got to take care of it, but you know that you've got to be in uh, New Jersey, Columbus, Ohio, Iowa City, Minneapolis, Chicago, and back home in the next week and a half. So, and you're driving and you don't have time to go to the doctor, you know, and then yeah. you got four days in between to, you know, it's, I'm not being that good, but at the same time, dude, it's like, it's like the sacrifice, you know, that, that hustle, that grind that people have to do to push sure. things over the edge. I'm trying to be better. Yeah. I mean, is that what you're alluding to? The fact that well, I, you know, I mean, you ask you probably ask all of us <laughs> this. How many times do you get asked, you know? And, and sometimes, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's strange, man. I'm, I'm catching some heat lately. From yeah. my, even from my team. Um, I neglect my personal life and my yeah. health sometimes. I, I probably have to admit, but, um, I'm trying to be better. Well, I got to keep it front, forward and front, right? Like I, I preach it to my staff sometimes and then I'm like not doing it myself. You know? Right. So. Right. Balance. I mean, the, the cool thing about what I, I say is what I do is that it's a complete autonomy. You know, like I, I do whatever Cacciatore wants. Yeah. And I think I sacrifice some other things like security for autonomy. Yeah. You know, um, but that's I think it's part of the game is trying to find the balance and pulling from here to give over there to, to, fi- to you know, to figure out how you can do things. And uh, for me, it's the sacrifice is necessary to get this thing with the integrity I want to deliver it to get the rewards. Yeah. To, you know, to, to do it the way I want to do it. Like the sacrifice has to come for me. I feel like, sure. um, but I think that's true for like a restaurant tour, like the first year of being a restaurant tour, like you're grinding, dude, like you're yeah. on the floor. You're, you're, you're not taking a pay check. 
so your employees are being paid. Um, I'm not in my first year. I'm in my 10th year, but every year is like a new year because I'm adding something that is completely foreign. Like I'm traveling with probably shouldn't say this out loud. It's $15,000 worth of camera gear. You yeah. know, please don't jack me when I'm walking down the street, but like this is, this is like complete foreign for me, you yeah. know? So like, I'm like, I figured out the audio stuff. Now it's like, Oh crap. Like here's this whole other layer of shit. Yeah, we're one more cog in the wheel, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you want to get to the point where your cup is overflowing so you can get the help you need, you have to get it to that point on your own. And I, I'm right there, dude. Yeah. I'm right there. And if you join the network, I'll be even closer. So uh, I'm in, pitch. man. Yeah. What, okay. So, so I got a slight speed round from you. You can cut me off anytime. Yeah, what's, your, what's, your, what's your biggest lesson in this journey in this, this last hmm. little bit? That there's no right way. There's only the, the way that works best for you yeah. and that aligns with your vision, your strengths, your weaknesses, your market. Uh, and that the the learning never stops; it's constant. And even when you figure, you, even when you think you figured it out, the world is changing around you, and you have to change with it. Is there a goal set? Where do you, where, where where you've come from? Where you are now? How many how many listeners would you say? Um, I'm getting between five and six thousand downloads an episode, yeah. but that's five to six thousand. Eighty percent of our listeners are restaurant owners or operators. Yeah. So like they're they're decision makers. I'm assuming the another 20% is like industry experts or maybe people who are working in the industry but aren't owners yet. Yeah. So that's a very concentrated I mean that's like that's a conference every episode. That's a big conference every episode. Sure. So like I, when you when you think about how targeted the audience is, that's those are good numbers. Well, that's a whole uh, schedule fly uh, customer base, five to six thousand people, right. you know, right. restaurant owners and operators. Yeah, you know, and I think we're just getting started. I think that the word is. Ju- I never spent a penny on marketing. You yeah, know? it's all just word of mouth, do the grind, show up, um, and, and let the work talk. Um, but the big goal to answer your question, um, when I started this podcast, the goal was to to help enough other people achieve what they were trying to achieve. And I think I thought I could do that with a podcast. Yeah. And I believe that if you help enough other people achieve their goals, that whatever you want in life, like whatever your goals are in life, like it will, I think the quote is if you help enough, enough other people achieve what they want in life, you can have anything in life or something like that. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted at the time was a restaurant. Um, and I was going to use the, what I, you know, the benefits from like the, the, the profit from the podcast to open my restaurant. Do I still want to open a restaurant is the question. <laughs> I might have been scared straight, but I do. You can come work in this one anytime <laughs> you want. I mean, I do want to be associated. Like I, I see myself being like, if you look at the most successful restaurant tours today, they're not in the restaurants. Yeah. They're creating opportunity for other people. Sure. And I, I, and I think that this podcast can in the, you know, the restaurant stoppable um, mission can grow to a point where I can use my success to create success for others sure. uh, and invest in people. And then I would love to use the media to, to share what we're doing in those restaurants and to kind of just open book management to the world. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the vision. Killer, man. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Awesome. But I what? appreciate you taking the time to ask questions. Oh, man, this is great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man. I, 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 I know you got podcast interviewed yesterday, so you probably got put on the hot seat a little bit, I would I hope. I was like half awake. I'm not going to lie. I feel so bad for Will. I don't, I don't know if you know the story, but like I got like three hours of sleep in two days. Yeah, Will kind of alluded on it yesterday. <laughs> I was a zombie. He, he was like, <laughs> so proud of that guy, but I was a little worried. He seemed a little tired. I was you like know? pale, and like I was, yeah. like, like, I was like sweating and like struggling to get through the interviews, um, but I, I showed up. You know, um, and I got t- like twelve hours of sleep yesterday. Yeah, man, the sleep is a thing. That's yeah. my guilty pleasure. I, I stopped drinking. I, I I've been sober for nine and a half years. Yeah. Right, I didn't, I didn't mention that much, but 
that's been part of my journey and, and I, I you know I, I sell booze for a living you know and so I got right. no problems with it I create parties and sell booze but uh, the sleep is a thing man it's yeah. this is my guilty pleasure seven hours of sleep I can run as hard and fast as anybody as long as I get that if yeah. I'm slightly lower than that I'm, I'm, I'm a new screwed. man today yeah. I'm a new man and Good. I, I, I I took all the sleep I could get after not if I have like if I do like five hours in a night like I'm still like cranky dude. yeah I need eight yeah but anyway this was fun, dude. I'm glad you got some sleep. Yeah, man, this is great. Thank yeah. you so much, and uh, thanks for being here, and, and, and good luck on everything. The pleasure man. is mine, and yeah. this is where I say there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, brother. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, John Sealbinder, for opening up, getting vulnerable, going to those darkest of dark times, and sharing your story. Uh, it takes a lot to go to these places and to open up. Uh, it, it takes generosity, and we thank you for that. So uh, it makes us all a better place when you do. And also, I have to say thank you for opening up your space. The Merchant in Raleigh, North Carolina, for me to interview all these amazing people that you guys got. And I think I just started to scra- scrape the surface with what's happening in North Carolina. I can't wait to come back. Uh, so tons of great things happening here at Restaurant Unstoppable. If you want to support this podcast and my mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, then please sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network. If the podcast's job is to go out and to inspire, the network's job is to empower. This is where we're un packaging all the biggest lessons we've learned here at Restaurant Stoppable. We're inviting our guests into the network to learn together. We're improving ourselves so we can improve those around us. And if we improve those around us, we improve our business, we improve our community, and we change the world. That's what's happening at Restaurant Unstoppable Network, but we need your support. So right now, if you join the network, there are two workshops waiting for you when you get there. The first one on August 7th at 4 p.m. is a Aligning your guest expectation, team motivation, and marketing strategy with Dave Domzalski and Dave Nitzel, uh, the authors of Hospitality DNA, who helped me connect with all these amazing people in North Carolina. We also have Christine Miles leading a conversation around the recipe for making a lasting impact on your restaurant through listening. Listening is the majority of communication. If you do not know how to listen, if you do not know how to look for those clues, if you do not know how to get people to open up, you are robbing yourself of crucial data that can help you move your business forward. That is going to be on August 21st, again, with Christine Miles, the author of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? If you sign up for these workshops, we have free books. We still have, I think, three spots open for the the workshop around marketing with Dave and Dave. And I think we have two more books with uh, Christine Miles. So right now, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1000. And I think this is, oh, sorry, episode 13. So restaurantstoppable.com slash 1013. We'll have a link in the show notes for you guys to sign up for the network. When you use that link, you'll get a 30-day trial so you can be a part of these conversations. If you RSVP, you're going to get a book right now if you do it. And we will send you a Restaurant Unstoppable shirt for saying thank you for your support. And uh, I think that's it for today. 
We do have to say thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi with Sumadre Podcast for your copyright and editing. Thank you, Callan Miola, for your mastery as a straight out of the gates community manager. You're crushing it. And thank you to Anna Tazin with the Good Kind Consulting for your executive support and counsel and operational support. It takes an army. I'm so grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.